Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz are back in action tonight. They are going to play the Celtics in Boston. And we're going to get to that coming up. We're going to talk some uh, college basketball with our basketball insider Steve Cleveland in just a few minutes. You're going to hear from Steve and his thoughts on the Cougars and the Aggies in the NCAA tournament. Uh, The football news for the day, uh, officially... Tomorrow is the day that deals can get done, but teams can talk to other teams' players today. So we're hearing stuff. Nelson Aguilar is leaving the Raiders to go to the Patriots for two years and $26 million. A guy who washed out in Philly, reinvented himself with the Raiders. Now he's going to depend on Cam Newton getting him the ball. See how that works out. Uh, other quarterback news, Jameis Winston re-upping in New Orleans. So New Orleans is set for a Taysom Hill-Jameis uh, Winston uh, quarterback derby. Unless they get Russell Wilson. And if I were Seattle, I wouldn't move Russell Wilson. But I guess if it gets untenable and they have to, then we'll see how that plays out. Uh, If that doesn't happen, then Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston kind of uh, polar opposites here, in my view. Um, You know, with Winston, you got a guy who makes big plays. He threw 30 touchdown passes in Tampa. He'll push the ball down the field. He can make big plays. But... He famously had the 30 picks. He's got to get rid of the negative plays because they are just a killer. Taysom, he'll take care of the ball, but will he make enough big plays? Can he push the ball down the field accurately, often enough uh, to be a big-time quarterback in the NFL? I think the Saints have got two guys who are definitely viewed as high-end backup quarterbacks, but they're viewed as low-end starting quarterbacks. And the way to change that is to lead a team to the playoffs because that will change the perception. You know, there's a handful of guys who've won Super Bowls, and with Breeze retirement, you know, that list gets shorter. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, obviously Brady's the GOAT. Obviously Mahomes is the rising star. Um, but with the Mannings having retired, you know, it's kind of a short list of, of players who can say, hey, I led a team to a Super Bowl. And then you've got a bunch of guys who can get people to the playoffs, right? That's what Lamar Jackson does in Baltimore. Um, and we have quarterbacks who've been to the Super Bowl but not won it. Well, the Rams had one and traded him to Detroit. Stafford can get you to the playoffs. Um, you know, see what happens in San Francisco. They've been to the Super Bowl, but they got to keep their quarterback healthy. Or maybe their quarterback has to stay healthy. Um you know, Alex Smith was in that group. Now, is he still a starter, advanced age, and injuries? Ben Roethlisberger has been a Super Bowl quarterback, but, you know, the way they fell apart, maybe he's viewed as a playoff quarterback. Some people maybe view him as less than that now. Um, you got guys maybe on the way up, Kyler Murray, right? The, do the Cardinals and Chargers both have young quarterbacks? You know, they aren't there yet. Um, you know, Buffalo, they've probably got a guy, well, he's a playoff guy, but can he be a Super Bowl guy, right? So, you know, you are what you are and until you win and prove differently. So we'll see what happens if uh, if Russell Wilson isn't on the move and if New Orleans doesn't get him. Um, you know, Prescott isn't going anywhere. Rodgers isn't going anywhere. So the quarterback musical chairs, the stars, that sounded good. Roethlisberger isn't going anywhere. Uh, but it doesn't look like it's happening. You know, maybe, maybe Taysom and Jameis Winston are going to get a chance to play this out. Or maybe uh, Deshaun Watson will finally force his way out of Houston and we'll see what happens at that point. All right, DJ and PK got to take a break. When we come back, Steve Cleveland, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, it's DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's football season. All right, no it's not. But it's spring football season, the U getting underway, the first practice yesterday, they had the first media availability and they brought out all four quarterbacks to talk to the media. And uh, they all came with uh, slightly different attitudes and stories. The one thing they all have in common is their transfers. So many transfers. All right, Peter Castelli's a high school kid. So there's that. Uh, he's the Californian in the crowd. The other guys are all transfers from Texas. Although Cam Rising with an asterisk because he was a high school kid in California before he went to the University of Texas and then he transferred. Jaquina Jackson and Charlie Brewer both grew up in Texas. Jackson went to Texas. Brewer went to Baylor. Uh, Brewer played a lot. Jackson did not. And now they're all in the quarterback room, learning a new offense and trying to figure out how things work. We're going to let you listen to each of the quarterbacks so you get to know them a little bit. We will start with Charlie Brewer, the presumed number one. Kyle Winningham said, well, we made him number one because he's a senior and all the other guys are freshmen. And he played a lot of football at Baylor, threw for a lot of yards, won a lot of games. He gives short and direct answers. And it doesn't sound like he's very interested in getting into the backstory of why he left Baylor and how he chose Utah. That's what I took from listening to it, but you know you can come up with your own judgment right now. Here's Charlie Brewer. Charlie, you uh, you know started you know quite quite a few years at Baylor, and then uh, what what led you to making a change, and then ultimately ending up at Utah? Yeah, I think for me, I was just kind of ready for a change, and uh, you know get somewhere new. Um, you know, glad it worked out the way it did. Uh, really excited to be here. Got a great coaching staff. You know, a great team, and. You know, I'm fortunate to, you know, be part of Utah football. Next question will come from Cole Bagley with the Utah Daily Chronicle. Morning, Charlie. Morning. What was it that made you commit to Utah so quickly? I just thought it was a really good opportunity. Um, I felt like it was a good fit. And uh, just kind of went ahead and did it. Didn't want it to, you know, drag along too long. And, uh, you know, I felt I made a, you know, a great decision. Next question will come from Josh Newman. Charlie, good morning. Good morning. Um, A lot of times when a graduate transfer quarterback is looking for a new home, uh, you know, they're looking for a spot where they can play right away, you know, and maybe competition is not part of the equation. Uh, Obviously, there is going to be a competition here. Um, You know, was was that a benefit to you? that you were going to come in and that you were going to have to compete? Yeah, I mean, I think there's competition kind of everywhere everywhere you go in college football, there's going to be competition. So, you know, I think I, I welcome that. And, you know, I've been through, you know, many competitions before. And, um, you know, I think it's, you know, not just good for me, but good for the team. Next question will come from Josh Furlong, followed by Hans Olsen. Yeah, you come from a conference that obviously is known for its its heavy passing attacks and, and just a ton of offense. You know, what do you what do you feel like you can personally bring uh, here to a to a place that, quite honestly, is 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 a lot of uh, running back and a lot of 
you know, pounded into the ground type situations. How, how do you feel like you can kind of fit into this type of offense? Uh, you know, I think, you know, first off, just being a good teammate, um, you know, to everyone on the team, you know, earning everyone's trust. Um, you know, I think, you know, here I'm going to get to do a lot of, a little bit of everything, kind of a very multiple offense. So, um, you know, I feel as if I'm able to throw the ball and, and, you know, tuck it and run when I need to. Next question will come from Hans Olsen, followed by Cole Beckley. We're so accomplished at Baylor, Charlie. What went into the decision to leaving Baylor? Um, you know, I think it was, you know, a multitude of things. Um, just felt, you know, overall it was, it was best for me and my career if I, if I moved on and, um, you know, kind of went somewhere new and, um, you know, finished my career somewhere else. Next question is from Cole Bagley. Hey, Trent, I'd just like to get your initial thoughts on the wide receiving core here at Utah. Guys like, you know, Britt Covey, Jalen Dixon, Brant Keithy. What, what are your overall thoughts on the talent here at Utah? I think there's a lot of talent. Got a lot of, a lot of good receivers and tight ends um, and running backs that can catch the ball. So there's going to be, a, you know, a lot of guys that can, that can make some plays. And, um, yeah, I think there's overall there's a ton of talent. There's Charlie Brewer, the transfer from Baylor, who interestingly comes from a family of quarterbacks. His dad was Texas' starting quarterback in the mid-50s. Excuse me, his grandpa was a starting quarterback in the mid-50s. His dad was a walk-on at Texas and started in 81 and 82. Won a Cotton Bowl his junior year. Got hurt and didn't play in the Sun Bowl his senior year. So, man, he he grew up to be a quarterback. Uh, now, Jaquin and Jackson... Uh, he, while Charlie Brewer gave some short answers there and was a man of few words, uh, he spoke with a lot of emotion. He was friends with Ty Jordan. They never played together, as he will explain. They were on, on opposing teams. Uh, they both committed to Texas, although Ty then flipped and came to Utah, and Jaquin and Jackson went to Texas. But when he was looking to transfer, Ty Jordan um, was a big part of the reason that he ended up at Utah. And Jaquin spoke with a lot of emotion, you know. Ty Jordan, just a tragic story, his death. Uh, Kyle Whittingham spoke about it with a lot of emotion. Um, and Jaquin is about to, too. But even with Ty gone, he's still having an impact on the on the football team if Jackson ends up being a big part of the team. Jaquin Jackson, here he is on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. JJ, when you were when you were leaving Texas and, and, and you had all these offers to go to other schools, what, what stood out about Utah? Uh, I really didn't get a, a visit to Utah, so I really didn't know what it was really about uh, until I actually talked to Todd about it, and he, he broke it down to me. Um, once he broke it down to me, he explained to me that um, it's a family, and, it's, and everybody speaks together, and it's a unit. I just fell in love with it then, so from that, that point on, I was just like, I'm coming to Utah. Next question is from Josh Furlong, followed by Josh Newman. JJ, I think a couple of weeks ago you tweeted that you made the, the best decision to come to Utah. What what you know is it about Utah that you feel like has has maybe I don't know if it's you know revitalized you or or given you kind of a new sense of of, of hope. What what do you feel like is has this change has been for you? Uh, everybody everybody is one. Everybody is a unit. And everybody stick together as one. It's a family here, which. Um, which is a plus for me. So that's one thing that I love about this program. And it's a, um, 
uh, NFL ready program, basically. Um, they get you ready for the NFL, but as a freshman, like this, this program is amazing. Next question will come from Josh Newman. Jacquinan, how are you? Doing fine. How about you? Doing well, thanks. Um, look, this is a new situation for you, new teammates, new quarterback room. Can you maybe describe what the vibe inside the quarterback room is? Because, you know, you're not the only new guy in that room right now. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a chill vibe. Like, everybody learning. Everybody um, – we everybody's on the same track because Logan is doing an excellent job teaching us the offense and giving us game on how to be successful as quarterbacks. So it's uh it's a brother and a family in the quarterback room. And uh, just to follow that up, I'm curious. I mean, I mean, you're a Texas guy. You spent a year at the University of Texas. What what's the uh, change been like coming from Texas to Utah, non-football, just in general, trying to get the vibe of Salt Lake City? Sure. Comics is, I can't even explain it. Uh, and it's freezing, like it's snow every other week. I don't, I don't understand it, but it's uh, it's amazing. Man. I love it out here. The viewing of the mountains, I, like I have, I have never seen mountains before. So it's uh, it's it's mind blowing. Next question will come from Josh Furlong. Yeah, what was your relationship um, with with Ty Jordan, and and how have these last few months been um, since his death? Uh, I've been knowing Ty since we was in fifth grade. Uh, I had played against him in a uh, spring football. He played for the LA Wild Dogs, and I played for Dallas Lions. Uh, I had first seen him. I was like, bro, he was short and stocky and fast. I ain't, I have never seen nobody like that. I called him Little Hercules because he was so big and fast. But um, me and Todd grew a relationship over over time. Uh, I had took my official to Texas and he took his. This was back when uh, him and his mama was alive. I uh, got to meet his mama. Um, we had a um, conversation about him coming to Texas, which he ended up doing. And I uh, and he um. He uh, told me about why he um, flipped, you know, which I totally understood. And that's when uh, I seen him out here doing his thing. So I was like, like cheering him on from the side because, you know, I wasn't playing that shit. So I was basically like texting him every, every other game. I see you doing your thing and stuff like that. Uh, and his death, his death was surprising, like, it, it, it caught me off guard. Uh, I had actually got woke up on my seat from uh, from the news. And uh, the following Monday, we were supposed to um, work out, basically try to get the feel for each other because we ain't never been on the same team. We always been competing against each other. But the relationship with me and Todd was actually about to start getting even closer than it was. And, uh, yeah, it just, that was just another, another blow to the stomach. Cause I, I don't lost three people in one year last year. So 2020 was a tough year. But, yeah, that, um, that was my boy. Long little time, man. 
Sorry, I know just to follow up. I know this is this is obviously hard for you, but how much how much motivation does that give you? And and obviously you've seen this now with the team who played with him uh, to kind of play this season and dedicate this season to him. It's it gave me a lot of motivation because I know that he's not here to do it, so I got to do it for him. Uh, and this like me me Alo we we done talked about it before because Alo very close with him too, so. Aaron Lowe, um, we had talked about it before, and we said we gotta we gotta do it for the ones that's not here. Um, so we're gonna keep pushing, moving forward, and keep grinding and grinding out to the to the wheels fall off, and uh, just keep keep them on our mind and keep us choking. There's Jaquin Jackson, the transfer from Texas, speaking with a lot of emotion about his late friend Ty Jordan. Uh, Peter Costelli, the guy in the room who is not a transfer, high school kid out of California, uh, missed his senior year because they didn't play in the fall, and then he's an early enrollee. They're starting to play high school football now, at least in parts of California. I don't know all of California, but a big part of California is starting to play football now. Uh, so... So he's missing a big chunk of football here and, and going a couple of years without playing. How will he end up on the depth chart? Where will he end up? An open question, but here's Peter Costelli. Peter, are you already seeing the uh, benefits of enrolling early and, uh, you know, rather than playing playing your last year back in high school, but coming to Utah and already getting started here? Yeah, I think it benefits me a lot, especially just getting, you know, to know the offense as quickly as possible so I can compete as fast as possible. And of course, I would want to play – I mean, it was an unfortunate situation with uh, without playing high school, without my senior year of high school, but I'm definitely, the benefits are definitely paying off right now with just getting to know the offense. Next question is from Josh Furlong, followed by Steve Bartle. Hey, Peter, you obviously mentioned that last season for you. I mean, how hard was that decision to make, whether staying in, in high school or, or uh, being able to come out here? And, and what do you feel like, uh, you can do, especially in such a competitive room with with a lot of talented quarterbacks. I mean, it was a definitely it was a definitely really tough decision for me. It was tough, especially because I built such a connection with my high school team, my high school coach. But just looking at the situation, you know, you had to just I had to make a tough decision, and I just decided to come up here to you know get myself involved in the offense as quickly as possible. But um. Now the the quarterback room is it's really good. We have a lot of good quarterbacks. It's great also to learn just from the older guys too with their experience, and they can teach me a lot of things. And Coach Ludwig is teaching me great things. It's just a really good opportunity to be up here. Following up on that real quick, you you committed pretty quickly. I mean, you you kind of set the tone for this recruiting class and and uh, stayed firm. I mean, what what was it? that was so convincing about Utah that you didn't even really want to think about any other schools and, and just commit here? I mean, it was just a perfect fit for me, you know? It was just one of those things where it's like, I, everything I need is here. What's the point of looking somewhere else, you know? So I didn't really want anyone else to take the opportunity away from me too. So I just wanted to lock myself in and happy to be here. Next question will come from Steve Bartle, followed by Cole Bagley. Morning, Pete. Morning. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just curious. You haven't you haven't had the opportunity to, to compete, you know, for for a long time. You've done a lot of training, but just how excited are you to take the field again in this kind of setting? 
I'm, I'm very excited. And it's, it's been a while since I've gone on the field and played, but I just can't wait to get on the field and just get thrown the ball again. And, and to follow up on that, um, what's going to be the biggest priority for you uh, in camp uh, and, and how are you, I guess, how are you going to learn from the other guys in the room? I'd say the biggest thing for me is just mentally getting down the offense. You know, it's just getting down the offense is probably the biggest priority for me right now. I, I can, I'll always work on my physical abilities to get better, but just getting down the offense is probably the biggest thing. And again, the older guys are helping me a lot. You know, they're always, they're always willing to answer questions. There's never like, they'll never say no, you know, they'll, they're just really helpful. All right, there is Peter Costelli. Now, the last quarterback, the one you're most familiar with, Cam Rising, because he won the job in the fall, played briefly one quarter of one game, and then he got hurt. He can't go in spring because he's still rehabbing the injured shoulder. But here's Cam Rising meeting with the media. Cam, how has the uh, injury been uh, healing up, and uh, do, you, do you feel like you'll be ready for you know summertime and uh, fall camp? Um, I think the injury is coming along great, uh, getting better each and every day, and just – been taking advantage of the time that I get in the, in the treatment room and it's been good and I think yeah come summer should be back and then and then to follow up on that uh how how critical is it for you to be there for those guys uh who are in during spring ball to learn the offense to and to get everything down so that when a uh, fall camp comes there's a full competition well having this is my third year here now so I mean just helping these guys any way I can whether uh, any of these subtle nuances that we have in the, in the offense that we have here rather than where they came from or whatever they have, just helping out, giving some input wherever I can um, just, just to be there for them. Next question will come from Josh Newman with the Salt Lake Tribune, followed by Josh Furlong with KSL. Hey, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Um, it's been a long time since we've spoken to you. You know, can you maybe take us back to the injury? Just, you know, you went through fall camp, you won the job, and then, you know, very early in the opener, you know, the injury occurs. Just how, how frustrating was that maybe in the moment or in the, or in the days that followed it? I mean, definitely not an ideal situation, but, I mean, it happened, and, and now I'm here, and now I'm focused on getting back, and that's my only, only goal right now. I don't really worry about what happened. Only can control what I can control. And just to follow up on one thing uh, that Trevor asked, you know, what is the quarterback room like right now? It, it's a pretty radical change, right? Going from uh, Jake and Drew, you know, now you've got Charlie and Jock Quinden and Peter in there. Yeah. What's the dynamic of the room like right now? Um, I mean, I say we're meshing together pretty well. Right? Everyone, everyone has a lot of respect for each other. There's no, no rivalries or anything that's being developed. We, we understand that we have a common goal here, and that's just just to get better as a team and keep competing each and every day. Next question comes from Josh Furlong, followed by Alex Markham. Hey, Cam, obviously uh, Ty Jordan's death shook you guys pretty hard and obviously, you know, for obvious reasons, but what, what do you feel like uh, this can do to maybe motivate your team as well as to kind of take us back through a little bit of what it was like when you found out that news and, and how, it's, how it's impacted the team? Oh, it was my heart dropped. It, it just, it still gives me a sour feeling and, and it still hurts me to the bone just thinking about it. But just knowing who Ty was and, and how he always pushed the team to be better, just knowing that just it's, it shows in the work that we're putting in. And 
And that's pretty much how time affecting us and, and helping us with, with our goal this year. And yeah, it was, it was rough, you know, for sure. Next question will come from Alex Markham with Cam's final question coming from Hans Olson. Morning, Cam. Morning. Hey, so, you know, obviously it wasn't ideal that you, uh, you went out that fast in the season, but you know, you're the type that tries to make the best of every situation. So, what uh, what did you kind of focus on throughout the shortened season just to make sure that, uh, you know, you were staying on your game and, and you know, just staying there mentally as well and improving? Um, I mean, I got a lot of reps and, and got, got a lot better just taking advantage of all the all the fall camp and phase one work that we had. It, it uh, had an accruing effect to, to just help me become the player that I am right now and and now I'm just focused on getting my shoulder back so that I can get back into it and, and feel it out. But just getting all those valuable reps with all the ones and, and doing that, that, that's pretty much what I'll take from last year. Cool. And then just to follow up really fast, sorry. Um, during, during the season, um, you know, what was it that uh, you were kind of taking your mind through um, just in preparation, knowing that, you know, it, it was a shortened season and you still had a great opportunity ahead of yourself? Yeah. Can you repeat that? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a little confused. With this one. No, no, you, you're good, man. You're good. So, I mean, obviously you go from being able to practice every day to, yeah. you know, being, being injured and, and everything becomes kind of more mental, right? You know, yeah, so sure. what, what were you, what were you doing throughout the season just to stay sharp and, uh, you know, and, and stay obviously motivated and prepared yeah. and prepared going forward? Well, when I had got my surgery, it was, uh, it was like a, pretty much a week off and then and then I was able to get back into it after after all that but just just trying to trying to take all the phone calls that I could with Jake and Drew just talk talk any any ball that we could or or even give any input when where I could just that that was pretty much my goal at that point because since there wasn't really much I could do on the field thanks final question will come from Hans Olsen Cam, I'm interested to know how it affects your psyche. Seeing the quarterbacks that they brought in, very accomplished quarterbacks, how does that affect your psyche? And how do you kind of a, approach that competition? I mean, personally, I love it. I, the, that competition drives me. It is – it's the reason I play football. It's the reason I love football is because you're always continuing to try and get better. And, and having having a great quarterback room is only going to drive me to be better and drive these guys to be better. So. That's, that's how I'm taking it. All right, there's Cam Rising, and there are the four Utah quarterbacks. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by The Store. The Store has grab-and-go meals and hundreds of local products. The Store has two locations, in Holiday, 6200 South and 2050 East, and at the Gateway Mall in downtown Salt Lake City, that's The Store. 
DJ and PK, it is time to bring in our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. So much to talk to you about. The Jazz are slumping. The Aggies got in and were whooping it up in a ballroom at their hotel. The Cougars knew they were in. They just wanted to find out who they're going to play. And they still don't know who they're going to play. So we got to get through all of this with you in the next 20 minutes or so. Let's start with uh, BYU. We knew they were in. We thought they might get a 6 or 7 seed. They got a 6. So for all the people who felt like your teams and Dave teams got poor seeds and deserved better, well, none of that this year. But UCLA or Michigan State, if you were Mark Pope, who would you rather play? And if you were Mark Pope, who do you expect to play? Uh, I'd rather play probably UCLA, who's lost four in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I mean, you know, it's uh, I've seen UCLA play a couple times, and uh, but you know, it's not that they're obviously they're they're a solid team. They got in, uh, they've had some good wins, but anytime you you've lost four games in a row. Um, there, there's some doubt, and uh, I'm sure they believe they can beat Michigan State. And you know, and when you look at Michigan State, uh, you know, you're, they they've defeated Michigan, number two Michigan. They've defeated number four Ohio State. They've defeated <laughs> number five Illinois. So you know they're capable. I mean, they got bad losses, and they lost three out of the last four as well. So, uh, but to me, the, the Big Ten was the best conference in the country. And for Michigan State, and I don't know a lot about Michigan State, but at the end of the day, if you can if you can beat Michigan or Ohio State and Illinois, you're 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 capable of beating anybody. And I, I recognize those were home games; they weren't neutral site games. And um, so, you know, I think I'm wanting to play UCLA, but at this time of the year, you know, you're you're just doing everything you can to prepare. And, uh, you know, you're not really talking to your guys about the fact that they've lost four in a row. I probably wouldn't be the smartest. You're going to show them film of, of good wins, big wins, and get them ready and make sure they, re- they respect their opponent. But, uh, uh, you know, they took fourth in the Pac-12. They're 17-9 and nine UCLA. So, you know, they're, they're solid. Michigan State just had a much more difficult task, and it took a while for them to start playing better. But, uh you know, like I said, they lost three of the last four, but they had in uh, in February big wins over Ohio State and Illinois. So I'd I'd probably go with UCLA uh, just because of the those circumstances. This sort of reminds me of your time at BYU when they saddled you with Syracuse and UConn, and so they weren't necessarily. I think both of them actually were coming off a national title the year before and didn't have banner years, but they're banner programs. And that's the way I look at whoever BYU gets, not banner years relative to what their program is used to, but nevertheless big-name programs. Yeah, you know what, that, it's true. And, I mean, I think Cincinnati will be this the first in our first. I think they had won a national championship year before. I had to look, but it, it wasn't the year before. It was they had had uh, – had a great run, and uh, I felt, and maybe it was more the, the 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 coaching staff there. But you're right. I mean, it's one of those things that it, it is. They may not have had a banner year, but they've got a great tradition, and they've obviously year in and year out have great players. You know, uh, I, I forgot the guy's name at UCLA, the head coach there, Cronin, I guess. Uh, Cronin, Mick Cronin, you know, yeah. He, yeah, he's done a nice job there. And, you know, that thing was kind of flattened out. And there wasn't a lot of energy, and he's brought energy there, and he's got guys believing they can win. Uh, 
uh, obviously Michigan State's historic program with national championships and you know and the like. But uh, yeah, I mean they're they've not had great years. You're right, and but they've proved that on any given night they can do something. But playing in neutral sites, uh, you know, I think the advantage for BYU is they get to watch this team play uh, on a Thursday when they're going to play them on a Saturday. And uh, I think that is an advantage. I mean, it's not like they're going to do a lot of different things come Saturday night. It gives guys a familiarity with them. Uh, and, and obviously, they've got a bunch of other tape they've watched. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, I think there's a benefit. And then, you know, two days later, they got to play BYU. Uh, I don't know if the, have the sites where everybody's playing yet been established. I think they're going to that field house there Hinkle. for BYU. Hinkle Fieldhouse oh. from Hoosiers. Mark Pope can measure yep. the free throw line if he'd like, or maybe the rim. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's where Butler plays, and yeah, uh, yeah that's I've been in that field house. Uh, in fact, um, at the end of my time in, in Indiana, Heath Stroyer, I think he was at Tennessee Martin, came in and played Butler. So I sat right behind the bench there and watched that game. That's a story facility and. Uh, I actually spoke in that place. There, a, there was a church gathering there for uh, in that Indiana area, and I remember being in that. And I think I've, I think I've actually been in all the facilities one time or another, just uh, in, in my travels when I was in Indiana. Not watching game. That was the only college game that I watched. But uh, I, I'd always be with the missionaries, and in uh, most of we had people on every campus, and so I had a chance to kind of poke in and take a look at those places and uh so i think i think i've seen everything iupy was our mission that's where they're playing they're playing their facilities so they're all nice facilities and uh what a what a, what a cool thing to do this thing in indiana and, and to have it all in one central location so um, excited to watch so for Utah State, they are playing Texas Tech, and I think there are people who will tell you the Big 12 was the best conference in the country. There's probably people who will tell you the Big 10 was too. Uh, but even though Texas Tech is, uh, is down a, a little bit in the conference standings, the conference is deep enough that maybe that just means they've been tested and they've played a lot of big games. What do you think of the Aggies' chance of pulling an upset in his 11th seed? Hey, listen, I, I, I believe in Utah State. You know, uh, what they've done the last two years, I, you know, they're not as good offensively as they were last year, obviously, losing the big guard. They, they're just they're not. But uh, he's got the coach. And uh, I think both teams are very physical. Both teams are good defensively. You know, you know Texas Tech has had to play really, really physical basketball and, and night in and night out where – uh, you know, the Mountain West had they had the top of half of the Mountain West. You know, Colorado State, uh, Boise, uh, even Nevada at times. Obviously, San Diego State. Uh, they were uh, they they had a solid league. I mean, they they had good wins, they had bad losses, but I like that league. It's the best that league's been in a while. So it wasn't like uh, Utah State came from a really soft league because I think this was one of the better Mountain West conference uh, seasons. Even though it was a COVID time and a lot of games were missed, uh, I, I, I like their chances. Uh, I mean, if I was doing my bracket, I'd probably pick Utah State because I, you know, I lived there and knew that. But in my heart, I'm, I'm thinking Texas Tech wins that game. But certainly, Utah State uh, is capable and has the capacity. They don't. They go nights where they don't score real well, and they're going to have to put up, you know, 
60 points to, uh, to, to beat a Texas Tech team. Maybe you have to put up more than that. And if they can score early and stay in the game, I mean, you, you've got two great coaches. So I, I, I'm hoping that Utah State wins, but I think I'd probably pick Texas Tech just because of what they had to go through the year game in and game out. Mark Pope has certainly generated a lot of enthusiasm in the BYU basketball program. He's got a ton of charisma, but I think it starts now because he needs to separate himself if he wants to be in the coach, and I'm sure he does want to be one of the better coaches. you got to win in the NCAA tournament. I asked him on the conference call as far as the great programs, which he played in one at Kentucky, obviously, that – those programs are measured by success in the NCAA tournament. That's what you want. Is it fair going forward to judge Mark Pope and BYU based on the NCAA tournament? Well, listen, the, the BYU has been to the NCAA tournament a lot. I mean, in the last 20 years. I mean, Dave, I think, went eight times. Coach Rose seven or eight times and we went three in that last five years and, and Mark would have been in it last year. So the expectation of getting to the tournament makes good sense. Uh, and I think they've, when you play on national TV, Gonzaga toe to toe and have yourself in a position. I think anybody that watched that team says, Hey, this team's capable of winning, you know, one or two games. And uh, so, yeah, I think there is the expectation for them to go there. It's not like they're an underdog. They 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 went toe to toe with the best team in the country, who's probably going to win a national championship, and they did it on a neutral court. So that raises expectations. Uh, you know, if they lose to Michigan State, you know that there's there's a name school that if you lose to, well, it was Michigan State. It wasn't you know some some uh, tier five school that upset somebody in a tournament, and you should have won. I. I think there's an expectation in that program that whether they play Michigan State or UCLA, that they can win. And uh, But in terms of how they're judged, I, I think the thing that Mark has done in a really quick time and probably could not have done it in, in an era where well, did it because of the transfer rules and, and getting guys eligible uh, immediately. You know, it was Barcello, uh, with Harms, uh, Everett. I think he, I think he sat out. But uh, certainly the transfers, and we've talked about this before, you can get yourself better pretty quickly. And, you know, Mark talks all the time about having a great locker room and their coaching staff is really, really good about that and having the culture that you need and having guys bought in. So they've, they've done all the things that they should do. Uh, it's, it's really hard for me to find any real fault with, with Coach Pope and what he's done in the first two years. There's great energy. Guys love him, and the fans, you know, even though they haven't been around this year, uh, the, the Gonzaga win the end of last year, you know, brought the kind of the community together, and immediately you knew that BYU was going to be good again for a long stretch here. And I think the, that we talked about this before, but I just think his ability to get transfers and, and to fill in holes for guys going on missions and coming off uh, is something that he's really good at. He's got a great personality, as does his whole staff. You know, they're really people-oriented. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, everybody's judged. It's, it's fair. I mean, you're in this business, and I was in the tournament three times and, and came 
within the last minute of winning a couple of times and, and didn't, you know, and I look back and just, I mean, I'm, I'm not beating myself up over it, but that, that would have been really special. And we had opportunities to win in two of those games late and didn't. And we were playing two teams that had won national championships, come for story programs. And I felt like, you know, we didn't get it done. And I, I take responsibility for that. Players do too. But yeah, I mean, you, you win a couple of those games, you know, all of a sudden, you got a chance to be at the Sweet 16 because you get momentum. And, and uh, so there haven't been a lot of Sweet 16 teams at BYU. There have been a few, but uh, I think it's uh, – I'm, I'm not sure that this is a Sweet 16 team, but, but certainly if they shoot the three ball well, uh, they can beat either one of these teams. I mean, they've got to come out and shoot well. And, uh, and, and then I think Michigan State is going to be more physical – and and I think BYU is up for a game like that, um, but I, I I think Michigan State wins, and then I think it's going to be a really really good game, and BYU will need to play well to beat Michigan State. Uh, but we saw them play real well about a week ago against the number one team in the nation, and so it's hard not to believe that these guys can't replicate it and do it again. So hopefully that's what happens, and they play well, um, and and we don't let's not forget this either. BYU's been really solid defensively. And, you know, having arms at the rim and having good, strong, quick guards that are physical uh, and just don't let guys have their way. Defensively, they've done a really solid job. So um, they don't have to shoot it as well as they did against Gonzaga, but I, I think they need to be – they're shooting 40 45% from the field and they're shooting 40% from the three, then uh, probably they're in a position to, to beat Michigan State. If they don't – it will it will be challenging because I think Michigan State. I mean, you're talking about a team that finished ninth in their league. Tells you a little bit something about their league. They finished ninth, 15 and 12, and get to the tournament as 11 seed. Mind you, it's a playing game, but uh, that's a pretty doggone good league. And like you said before, the Big Ten and uh, the Big 12 are probably the two toughest leagues in the in the country this year. We've all seen tournament games where a team that had tournament experience had a significant edge, calming the nerves, just playing the game, not worrying about everything else. Well, another team could be all wide-eyed. I watched this tournament the whole time growing up and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we didn't have a tournament last year. I mean, we know who the tournament teams largely were, but they didn't actually get to play. And with a turnover two years, graduation, all the transfers, I'm wondering if you think that will – you know, tournament experience is going to matter as much this year if it's just going to be a really different kind of year because Utah State is playing Texas Tech. BYU, if they, if Michigan State beats UCLA, they will be playing teams that played each other in the Final Four two years ago. Texas Tech beat yeah. Michigan State. Does that matter, or is two years, 20 years in college basketball, and we're going to see a lot of nerves in the tournament this year? No, I, I think it, I think it does matter to a certain degree because I think that people that are in those programs have those expectations, and it's not to say that BYU or Utah State don't have expectations to win and get to the next level in the next round or be Sweet 16 teams. They just haven't done it very often, you know. So there's not a history there. Uh, whereas with these two clubs, story programs that have had great success and, and with good coaches, so. I, th- I think the mindset of a Texas Tech or a Michigan State is, hey, we've been there before. This is done before. This is what we do. This is who we are. It's not. I'm not saying that BYU and Utah State don't feel that and believe that 
and that the coaching staff isn't instilling that. I think they are, but still it's different than, hey, we were you know in a Final Four two years ago. I mean, that is a different expectation. That's a different place. And, uh, and you know, it, it gets guys fired up. The underdog deal is always what the NC2A is about. Now, the, the thing that isn't going to be happening is there's not going to be a lot of fans, I don't think, are there? I haven't seen anything officially about fans in the in facilities. If there are a few, uh, you know, it, it's not going to be a lot. So you're taking away that energy that comes to teams that are underdogs and all of a sudden in a, an entire arena of people from other, other schools, you know, they're neutral to the game. They don't care who wins. But all of a sudden, anytime it's a higher seed against a lower seed, they're pulling for the underdog. And interestingly enough, Michigan State and UCLA would, would always be names like that. Or, you know, you feel like you're the underdog. And yet BYU is not. I mean, they're, they're a sixth seed. And, and, uh, but there's something to be said about the mindset of being in programs that have been to the Final Fours and that expectation. You don't have to talk a lot about it. The players know. That's why they went to that institution. That's why they were recruited there, to go – to you know, final eights and sweet sixteens and final fours. So, um, yeah, I, I would think that I don't think BYU is going in the start. They've got older guys now, you know. Too. I mean, you've got three seniors that have been in college programs for almost five years now, so they've seen a lot. Uh, you know, how does a Travis Snell or a Spencer Johnson? How do they step up? You know, you watched them against Gonzaga make big plays and and. Uh, and, and, and do things uh, in games. So I, I don't think they come into this thing wide-eyed and not sure and nervous. I think they believe. But once that ball gets tipped up, you have physicality of that game and everything. And that's the one thing I like about BYU. BYU has gotten so much better over the year in terms of physicality, defensively, a lot of it's game prep, you know, being in the right place. Uh, but, yeah, I think Michigan State – you know, UCLA has not been very good for a while. Uh, so I, I don't even know that the, you, these young kids, I mean, I know they, you know, UCLA is a storied program, but for Michigan State, and, and it's a different deal. And uh, they, they've been there and recently and uh, have a storied program as well. So we'll see. I mean, I know the guys are going to be excited and they'll be prepared. Well, you know, everybody's prepared at this time of the year. And I think that playing in a neutral site, playing no fans, I think that always benefits the, the uh, probably the, the team that is the more physically and more talented team. If there's not going to be fans, who, who, who gets the, the underdogs going? So you have, not having fans, and Michigan State now, you figure if they end up beating UCLA, and that's what I'm, I'm thinking is going to happen, um, they've had three big-time wins against teams that have been ranked in the top five all year. So uh, I don't think they're going to come into any game thinking that they can't win. The Jazz are four and five in the last nine games. Is this just something that happens in the middle of the NBA season? Or are teams catching up to them? The advantage that they had in continuity over other clubs early in the year? The fact they're team playing teams the second and third time, and they got a better idea what they want to do against the Jazz? Uh, you know, are, are teams catching up to them, and should fans be worried? Well, you know what? I, I don't know they need to be worried, but teams are going to catch up to them when you play them multiple times at this time of the year. But look at the rest of the league. I mean, everybody. I mean, you've got 10, 11, 12, 
13 losses in the top three or four people. I mean, so it's happening everywhere. And, you know, they've got three road games at Boston, Washington, and Toronto, you know, and, and you know, all three of those programs are struggling. I mean, I mean Boston had a, a good win coming out of the All-Star break and lost. I mean, they're Boston's six and four, Washington's four and six, Toronto's three and seven. But we know they're all capable. I mean, certainly Boston and Toronto, if their guys are playing, the right guys are playing and they're healthy, those are difficult places to play on the road. You, you, you know, six months ago when you saw that schedule, or I guess these schedules probably weren't out six months ago with COVID, but once you saw that schedule, you go, that, those would be two tough places to play. And so I think it's what everybody's going through. I mean, you, all the teams with 13, 14, 18, 19 losses. I mean, uh, it's, it's just the nature of the year and uh, coming, you know, the second half of this year. I think the Jazz are still in a good position, even though they're, you know, they've, they've lost a few games. But at the end of the day, uh, I, I still think the Jazz are playing well. You know, they can't, they can't have guys. I mean, you start looking at, I'm watching this doggone, uh, uh, all of a sudden I forgot. I'm I'm, I'm watching New Orleans Pelicans play, uh, and I'm thinking, these guys, they're not a great basketball team. They're 17 and 22, but on a given night, they can beat anybody because they can score, you know? I mean, I I didn't, I just didn't, I didn't see Golden State just thrashing the Clippers, you know? Mind you, it was a home. So, yeah, anything can happen, and I think this is the time of the year where it does, but there's a lot of parity in this league. There isn't much that separates one to eight, to be honest with you. I mean, we know who really has a chance to get to the finals, and, and I think that if you took uh, Brooklyn, I mean, the Lakers haven't played great. Uh, you take the Clippers, teams that preseason, Philadelphia is playing better. Obviously, Utah is playing better. But there's only a handful of teams that can probably get to the finals just because if, if everybody stays healthy. And, and I think Utah has proven that after 38 games, they can get to a finals. They, they've demonstrated they can beat good teams, uh, but a lot of it, too, and I, and I wouldn't have the analytics and stats for this, but sometimes you're playing teams when they're missing players, and, uh, you know, you, you can get wins when, you know, maybe had certain guys not been sick or not been in protocol or whatever the circumstances were. But I think the Jazz are still solid. Jazz have a chance to go on the road and win these three games. And all three of those teams, they got question marks. People, they're not sure what's going on. Their own fan base doesn't know what's going on. They go on the road and lose two of those or three of those, then, then, then there's something to worry about. But I think if they go on the road and win two out of three or win all three, then I think that makes a huge statement as we get into the second half of the season that Utah's going to be at the top here in one or two of the conference, and they're going to, you know, they're going to have home court advantage. Steve, as always, we appreciate a few minutes talking Cougars, talking Aggies, talking Jazz. Enjoy the March Madness. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. It'll be fun to watch. See you guys. There's our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Donovan inbounds to Rudy. Donovan comes back to get it, curls around, fires the three, got it. Donovan 
in the white uniforms, works to the left side, hesitates. Grant Williams falls over. He pulls back for a three, hits. Oh, Grant Williams, take that and wind it back. Ingles calls to the Gobert pick. They force Ingles to his right hand. He snakes back under to his left, lobs it to Rudy, slammed up. There is no stopping this team. Throw me a zone, throw me switching, throw me a dropping pick. I will annihilate all of them, says Quinn Snyder. The maestro on the sideline with a little answer to everything. Need some of those answers now. That was the Jazz beating the Celtics. Ah, the good old days, PK, when they were winning 11 in a row and 9 in a row. And all was well. Another four and five in the last nine. Those were the days, my friend. Jazz are 28 and 10. Still the best record of the NBA. They're facing the Celtics. A couple games over 500, 20 wins, 18 losses. Games of 530 tonight on TNT. Second game of a five-game road trip for the Jazz. At what point, PK, do you start to feel pressure? Or is it merely urgency? It's not pressure. There's too many regular season games to go. When? When? Now, today, right now. This is it. No time like the present, baby. Every game is important. How is any game not important? They're all of a level of importance that is high as far as I'm concerned. So, I mean, I felt it uh, game one. And whatever game this is, I don't I don't know that that ever changes. Coverage starts at 4.30 with Jazz Game Night, the pregame show, and then tip-off at 5.30. The NBA and Utah Jazz's joint investigation into allegations by former player Elijah Millsap found no evidence to support the claim the team executive Dennis Lindsay made a racially insensitive comment in an April 2015 meeting, the league said yesterday in a statement. Millsap's agent told investigators he had not been made aware of the accusation by his client during the two seasons Millsap played with the Jazz. Sources told ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. So PK, it's a he said, it's a he said. They can't prove that it wasn't said. They can't prove that it was said. And so there it sits. So you don't think this investigation and the results prove that it wasn't said? I don't think they prove that. I think they suggest that. But, I mean, they didn't come out and say he absolutely didn't say it. So, I think you can surmise he absolutely didn't say it if you want to. Are we you know, what do here? Yeah. Well, I think it comes down to what do agents or free agents want to believe. I mean, how it's going to impact the Jazz going forward, isn't that the question? That's two different things. I don't see where that's... That, that's entirely separate. Did he say it? The investigation says there's no evidence that he did say it. Now, how does that impact free agency? Well, we, we can talk about color, but the color green matters a whole heck of a lot. True story. So, so, tell me how many years I'm getting. Tell me how much money I'm getting. Everybody has a, uh, what's the, a price is the word I'm looking for. So, I mean, if they offer somebody way more money than the next team, He's coming, irregardless of uh, this, and this works in Jazz' favor. That's two different things. If there's long-term ramifications, or even short-term, any any ramifications for that matter, versus did he say it? You, know, you thought he should have been fired if he said it. No, I well, thought he was going to be fired if he said it. That was the question. Was he going to be fired you if think he said he, it? No. Okay. All right. Then would you think and he because should be it's fired? what the 
point blank. Do you think he should have been fired if he said it? Well, I didn't honestly think he ever said it, so I didn't ever think it was going to come to that, nor did I consider that. Okay, well, I'm going to answer the question. You're going to no, say no. I don't think he should have been fired. Right. I'll, I'll answer the question. If you won't, I will. I don't think he should have been fired if he said it. And that's just, you don't want to answer the question, so be it. Uh, but do you think he would have been fired? No. I think given what the owner said, and we don't have a lot of track record because it's new ownership, but given what the owner said about his statement about race, I thought if they proved he said it, then he was going to get fired. It doesn't make sense to me in a relationship, the, the, the power dynamic in the relationship here, and maybe it's just raw emotion, so you shouldn't put logic into it, but why is a guy who's one of the last two or three guys on the roster, maybe he's the last guy on the roster, I don't know, I have to go back and look at the roster, why would why would a GM and he get into it like that? The people who pop the logic off, everything out. I know, but the people who pop <laughs> off are usually stars. Guys at the end of the roster are just trying to stay in the league. Yeah, but, but no, that doesn't make any sense. Your logic doesn't make any sense. Why is that? You're not going to say it to Carl Malone. You're going to say it to some sub on the bench. If you're if you're gonna if you're gonna say it. You're not going to say it to a big-time star. You're going to say it to some guy that you're going to take no crap from under any circumstance. So your logic actually is illogical. He's the exact person you would say it to if you were inclined to say it. Because you don't care whether he comes back or not because he has no bearing on winning whatsoever. He's an end-of-the-bench dude. It just seems it's also unlikely that he said it because... A guy who says he was friends with him on the team never heard anything about it, and his agent right. never heard well, anything the, about that's it. That's what the investigation showed, so, so we already know that. Right. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. So the Warriors, fresh off beating the Jazz, go back to back, go to the Lakers, and get hammered thoroughly, 128-97. to Funny moment in the game was Kyle Kuzma airballing a free throw. Didn't matter at all because the technical Lakers. foul. I know nobody's standing. He was in the chosen line. to shoot the technical foul, and he shoots an air ball. That's the worst technical foul shot in the history of technical foul shots. The worst. When will he be chosen to shoot a tech again? Thirty-one point blowout for the Lakers. They get the well. Win. Many men are chosen, but few airball them. LeBron has a triple double. Oh, the old freaking triple. There it is. Uh, everybody, everybody who's somebody in the West picking up wins. The Clippers beat the Mavericks 109 to 99. The Nuggets beat the Pacers 121 to 106. The Suns take down the Grizzlies 122 to 99. So back to the Jazz playing the Celtics tonight. Uh, they gave up half a game to everybody. Are they going to get the win, or does everybody keep inching closer to the Jazz? So you consider the Kings nothing? Uh, I do. I do. <laughs> I do. The team that got a raw deal in all of that is the Mavericks, but they're below the Clippers in the standing. So for the purposes of this discussion, yeah, more interested in what the Clippers did than the Mavericks. Mavericks, nothing. More Logo 3s. Porzingis is firing now. Five, eight, ten feet behind the three-point line. Whatever, they're all good shots. And he made it. So. Nets beat the Knicks 117-112. Durant didn't play. He's now missed... He's now missed uh, more than half the games and counting. He's played 19 of their 40. Didn't matter, though. Nets get the victory there. James Harden, 21 points, 15 rebounds, 15 assists to lead the way. He's your MVP. 
think that's how it's going to play out now? I think it's either him or LeBron. Yeah. A month ago, I think everybody was saying LeBron, but it's definitely building for Harden, and uh, if they dominate here in the second half. Jokic ain't getting any love. I don't think he's going to – he can get love, but I think it's between those two. Marvin Bagley III broke his hand in the first half of the Kings' loss to Charlotte. Third-year big man, getting hurt. TBD, and we'll see him again. But I just declared them nothing, so what the heck. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. You have a couple guys transferring, and neither one played much, PK. Uh, were they projects and supposed to be something, or this is just what happens? A couple guys don't. Don't play. Don't think they're going to play, so they're out of here. Well, they're, I don't. I have no idea what their future would have been, but they didn't play, so they're looking for playing time. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that with Utah, red flag goes up, but you got guys sitting the bench. They're probably going to want out because they all think that they should be playing, as they should. You know, I don't have any problem with that. This is a short time, and so go ahead and find some place where you can get on the floor. If it's a lower level, so be it. This doesn't seem like I don't. I don't think Larry a year from now is going to say these two guys made a mistake like he did so strongly uh, with us last week with Booth Gotch going to Minnesota. Uh, no uncertain terms that it was clearly a mistake. So I don't know what this, these guys had in mind as far as what their expectations were or what Larry thought would be the expectation and why it didn't come to pass or maybe it did come to pass. Not everybody can play, so. I'd be more concerned about guys who are in the rotation. These two guys weren't in the rotation. Minnesota fired Richard Patino, Rick's kid. Indiana canned Archie Miller. Iowa State let Steve Promio after disappointing runs. So the coaching carousel, hype it up. Who's going where? Who's getting gigs? Well, Patino has been uh, linked to New Mexico. Mm. New Mexico desperately wants to be big time. And so if they can get the Patino name, they they always want Sizzle. And Shades of Steve Alford going there? Uh, Fran Fraschilla, Steve yeah. Alford, and Dave Bliss, on and on. Six NCAA tournament officials were sent home from Indiana due to a positive COVID-19 test and the resulting contact tracing from the positive test. Four reserve officials are being called in to replace them. So NCAA tournament. How can they be sent home? Shouldn't they be quarantined exactly where they are? Uh, yeah, especially the positive, you would think. Well, I don't know, but I don't said. know if they. I, I mean, they're in Indiana. I don't know if these are upper Midwest people who can drive home. I would think they shouldn't be flying home if that's what you're getting at. Maybe they can drive home. I don't know. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. So the first day that teams are allowed to talk, the signings aren't supposed to happen until Wednesday, but deals are being agreed because, of course, people were talking before this. Ryan Fitzpatrick is leaving Miami and going to Washington for one year and $10 million. That'll be his ninth NFL team. Jameis Winston re-ups with the Saints, one year, $12 million. He and Taysom Hill with Drew Brees retired. Who's it going to be? Uh, Devontae Booker signed with the Giants. The former Ute gets two years and $6 million. And former BYU cornerback Michael Davis re-ups with the Chargers for three years, $25 million, 15 guaranteed. And the former Aggie linebacker Nick Vigil 
signs with the Vikings for a year and $1.3 million. Even the little money is big money, PK. Uh, hence, no losers in pro sports. There it is. DJ PK. Hashtag college football. Brian Harson, the former Boise State coach, now Auburn's football coach, has signed a six-year contract with the school that pays him an average of $5.25 million. $31.5 million. Go down there and lead the Tigers against their rival. Throw yourself upon the brick wall that is Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. But for $31 million, it's worth a try. Yeah, timing might actually work out because Saban is pushing 70. He could be the guy. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Ryan Braun said he's strongly leaning towards retiring, but the Brewers' home run leader said he isn't ready to make a definitive decision. He's 37 years old. He visited the Brewers' spring training site Monday. Said he hasn't picked up a bat since the end of the 2020 season. He was MVP a decade ago. Became a free agent when the Bruins declined to exercise a $15 million mutual option in his contract last October. Hmm, you want to come back? You need some more shots in the butt. Could he get a contract and get another Miller too? Since he's clearly not getting 15. Just to be part of it, PK, to run out on the grass. Smell the grass, be one of the boys this summer. It's hard to walk away. Uh, yeah, I, that sounds attractive just having you say that, man. We are 16 days away from opening day. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up, 7.30, Sean Devaney, the NBA editor for Heavy.com, contributor for Forbes Sports. Will join us to talk NBA, talk jazz. Tim Lacombe, jazz radio studio analyst, will be here at 8.30. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes for Toast brought to you by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. Right now you can get up $6,000 and purchase allowance on the XT lineup. Experience the luxury you deserve by booking a test drive today. Coming up, we are going to look ahead to the Jazz and Celtics tonight. Sean Devenny is going to join us, NBA editor for Heavy.com, based in Boston, and we will talk with him about the Jazz and the Celtics. Uh, Question of the day, there's actually multiple questions up, the one that is uh, Jazz-oriented. Are there any ramifications for the results that showed no truth to Elijah Millsap's allegation against Dennis Lindsay, or is it dropped? I suspect the answer to that is it's dropped. 
Millsap's out of basketball, so what's going to be done? Wow, so we go from something being that you thought he would have been fired if he said it mm-hmm. to have it been dropped when the investigation finds no evidence that he did say it. That's about as wide of a spectrum as you can have. Yes, I agree. And you can argue it isn't fair, but I don't want to use the word fair around a guy who told me there is no fair in the world. Yeah, but you could use the word fair. If you think the word <laughs> fair is appropriate, that what, who gives a crap it, what I think? It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> seem fair, but it seems how things are going to play out. If you want to stand up for what you believe is fair or unfair, you have every right, and I encourage you to do that. Be true to who you are. Right. The Sniggledorfs are counting on you. But are there any ramifications? I really don't think there are. I mean, possibly there are ramifications if there are people who believe Dennis said it, who he's got to do business with in the future. Well, that, that, there's that issue, too. So that, yes. so if you're looking for ramif- ramifications, is wide open. I think when you wrote it, you intended it to mean, you know, are there any penalties for Millsap? Eh, part of it. Not yeah. exclusively, though. And I suppose there, there would be the ramifications for people who have to deal with him who think, Wow, sounds like you made that up. If a friend on the team never heard it and your agent never heard it, you waited until you're out of basketball to bring it up. Yikes. I mean, if you'll well, say that million, about him, if you say that about him, will you say that about me? There's a million ter- ramification possibilities you know, in, in the terms of racial justice. If you cry wolf and it didn't happen, does that mm-hmm. set back the cause? Do all, all these white people, especially if you're a white Republican, you're basically painted as a racist now uh, by many, many folks. Or if you're a Trump person, you're painted as a racist. I don't think we can argue that, whether that's fair or not. That's the issue. So uh, now the, the, the people who are painted in that category, do they think, yeah, see, it's not really. This stuff doesn't really. This privileged stuff. And I'm just speaking generally. I'm not speaking what's in my heart because uh, I don't have any answers on any of this stuff. I'll be the first to admit it. Does it hurt the cause? Do they say, yeah, here we go again? So you got the social ramifications. Then you've got the ramifications relative to the jazz. Is this, oh, geez, you know, of course. Of course they didn't find it. That's what they wanted to find. So, I mean, all sorts of stuff. I'm the one who's going to say it. You, you, won't, you don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole, but I'll say it because that's what people are thinking. I don't know to what degree they're thinking of it, but some people are thinking of it. So you got all this stuff. You can put it all in a big pot and pick out whichever angle you want to go. But there isn't going to be any. The NBA can't really penalize Millsap. I mean, they can investigate. But he's out of basketball, so. No, I mean, it's nothing happens. Oh, to him personally? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that people want anything to have personally happen to him. I mean, what was he going to go to jail? I mean, what could well, he's I mean, already he, out of the league and he's not getting back in? I mean, so the league the tends to find the league doesn't send people to jail. The league would fine or suspend people, but that's not going to happen. Mike posted on our Facebook page: only the ramifications perpetuated by the press. It's a non-story. Drop it. Yeah, I think he just wants to bury his head and doesn't want to have to deal with ramifications that are out there. I mean, that'd be nice if that's what you could do. And, if, and it's, I mean, it's as old as the media to blame the media. Right? We just had four years of being blaming the media for everything. So 
uh, of course, blame blame the media, blame the press. That's what they're there for. You don't like that something is being said, blame them. And that's that's an easy solution for you. As I'm not sure the, what what is the media now. I mean, everybody's media to one degree or another in terms of platforms to be able to voice your opinion. Jonathan says officially no, but we'll have to see unofficially. Yeah. All right, you can hit us up on Facebook, DJ and PK. Time to bring in Sean Devity, NBA editor for Heavy.com, contributor for Forbes Sports, based in Massachusetts. Jazz are playing the Celtics tonight. Sean, good morning. How are you guys? Good. Jazz fans have their questions. It was so much fun watching them annihilate so many teams by 15 or 20 points, many of them who were decent teams, who had 500-ish records, a little over, a little below, and the Jazz handled so many of them so easily, and now suddenly they're not. Four and five in the last nine games, and here come the Celtics, two games over 500. How worried should the Jazz be about the Celtics? What do you think of the way they're playing? Yeah, the Celtics uh, have have sort of been emblematic of what's going on around the league this year in that you know, they had a bunch of COVID issues early on, and that 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 uh, after a good start, they're eight and three uh, at one point, uh, and uh, that, then they started to get all the COVID issues. Uh, Jason Tatum was out for a while, and a few players who uh, had to sit out, uh, and that really threw them off. And the lack of practice time uh, that you have after that, uh, they just it really took them a long time to get themselves back together. And, and you look at a team like Miami or Dallas, you know, they, they, it's the same sort of dynamic uh, with a lot of those teams. You know, you don't have the practice time. So once things get really thrown off, it's hard to get it back together. Now, the Celtics had uh, a period where, uh, you know, it just looked like a bottom fell out. They, they had a big loss to Atlanta uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, after that, they've, they've, they've since rallied, and, and they've won, uh, uh, I think it's five out of six now. So, uh, you know, they've gotten themselves back together, uh, but, you know, it's still a pretty fragile team right now. It's still a team that it's just, it's just so hard, uh, uh, you know, when you have those COVID issues to, uh, to bounce back. And, and like I said, we've seen it all over the league. So for a team that had high expectations and hasn't met them so far, and it's still time to go, and it's going to matter what you do in the postseason, but so far they haven't been met, haven't met, and we know Boston is a rabid fan base. Where is the frustration centered to? Where does it go? You know, uh, what we've seen uh, this year is, is probably the first time that it's been uh, focused on, on, on Brad Stevens. Uh, probably not fairly, uh, in my opinion. Like I said, there was, there was the COVID stuff. And, uh, and, and, and the real problem here is uh, just a complete lack of depth. Uh, Danny Ainge, I think, is probably the one who should take uh, the bulk of the blame because he just—he's not built a bench that uh, uh, that Brad Stevens can rely on. Uh, you know, they just—they've—they've uh, they've sort of fallen in love, or Ainge has sort of fallen in love uh, with all these young guys who who uh, Stevens can't really play. You know, uh, a guy like a Javante Green or uh, even a Grant Williams. Uh, Carson Edwards, you know, so they've got a lot of guys on the roster who really aren't used. 
useful. Uh, in NBA games right now, maybe they will be down the road, but but you're you're sort of saddled with this bench that uh, uh, that, that that that's really uh, been been counterproductive in a lot of ways. So I, I think the depth is uh, uh, is is the real problem, and that's on Danny Ainge. Uh, but a lot of fans have taken up their frustration on Brad Stevens and uh, uh, point the finger at him. He's been around now for uh, for eight years, and and really this is the first time. Uh, where uh, where fans have really gotten on him. Jason Tatum is 23. Jalen Brown is 24. It's been said about a million times that it's the vets, it's the old guys who win in the NBA. So in retrospect, should the expectations been so high? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, you're right. I mean, this is a team that's been to the conference finals three out of the last four years, uh, and that's that's remarkable. And, and, and rather than the focus being on, uh, you know, well, they've got to get farther this time, you should probably step back and say it's, 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 it's pretty uh, stunning that these guys have been able to lead them there, uh, you know, that many times at their age. You know, I mean, it's, it's going to take more time for them to really develop. Um, you know, one thing we've seen and, and, and something to look out for tonight is, is when things don't go well, you see Tatum sort of, uh, you know, as they call it, hero ball, play a lot of hero ball and, and take long two-pointers that are contesting, you know, bad shots. Uh, but, but, you know, he's trying to, he's trying to force his team uh, back into a win, and, 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 and Janet Brown has done that as well. Um, and, and that's something that they've got to learn not to do. Uh, they've got to learn how to handle adversity a little better, get other people involved. Uh, they try to do it themselves too often. But that's, that's to be expected when you're 23-24. The fact that they've had so much success, kind of raise those expectations, uh, but that's probably not fair. You know, they still have a lot to learn, especially, like I say, when there's when there's a little bit of adversity. So, Brad Stevens, I thought you were going to answer that as far as uh, where the heat was being directed. Been there eight years, and, you know, he came from Indiana with Butler, and Indiana, the university's open. You think he would have any interest yeah, no, you know, I mean, the, the, there's, there's really been no, uh, you know, that, that comes up every time, uh, uh, there's a, a Big Ten school that has, uh, uh, that has an opening, especially if it's, if it's Indiana. I think, uh, the Hoosiers would love to, uh, uh, get hold of Brad Stevens, but, uh, uh, you know, Danny Ainge is pretty well committed to him and, and, and he's pretty well committed to the Celtics. So I don't see him going back to, uh, uh, back, back to the college ranks, at least not anytime soon. So how much does the departure of Gordon Hayward change this team, even though he wasn't, you know, the guy making thirty million scoring thirty points a game, he was getting paid big money, but do they miss kind of glue guy who scores a little, passes a little, plays some defense? And Yeah, they do. I mean there's no question that that you know, when I talk about the depth issue, that that, that he's the guy who used to sort of mask uh, all those all, all those problems. Uh, you know, for him, of course, the the issue was he doesn't really want to be a blue guy. You know, he, he's got way more talent than that, uh, and uh, and 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 you know, obviously, you see it in Charlotte now. 
Uh, but um, but yeah, there's no question that they that that they miss him. Uh, you know, he was a guy who, when they needed scoring, could score. He was a guy who could handle the ball uh, and uh, and create for others. Very good passer. So uh, there's no question that they miss him. Um, you know, like I said, they have this really inexperienced bench that uh, uh, that the coach does not seem to uh, want to rely on. But but it's what he's got, and uh, uh, and you know that's that's been a big issue that uh, uh, that that having Hayward. Uh, used to really mask some of the problems with that bench. So you look at Ainge, and I think that he has a reputation as somewhat uh, as a gunslinger, and he'll make some moves, and obviously he brought a title to that uh, franchise when he made a bunch of moves, and you talk about how they have some inadequacies here. We have a trade deadline, and then obviously the offseason coming up. Do you think he makes some moves in the immediacy or, and also over the long term? He certainly sent out. Say, so they've got this traded player exception from from the uh, from the Hayward uh, deal with uh, with with Charlotte, uh, and it's worth twenty eight million bucks. Uh, you know, because the cap rules, they could basically bring in somebody worth twenty million dollars without sending anything. They could just send back draft picks or whatever. Uh, so there's a talk about guys like uh, Harrison Barnes, maybe bringing back Al Horford, uh, Lamarcus Aldridge, you know, guys like that. Uh, but Ainge has sent pretty strong signals. Uh, and maybe it's a smoke screen, but but uh, you know other teams seem to have the the feeling that uh, uh, that that he wants to wait and use it in the off season. Uh, you know, we could be a little more patient. You can uh, you could maybe find a, a team that's willing to give up on a guy. Um, but you know, it's 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 very frustrating for Celtics fans when he talks like that because I think te- you know people really look at this team as as a team that has a chance to do something in the Eastern Conference uh and uh and and, and they need another player and and it doesn't look like he's uh, uh you know falling all over himself to uh to bring in another guy so uh yeah you know i i, I the smart money's probably on him waiting uh but uh, uh but you know i think that that would be very very frustrating for fans i think they want to see him make a move well, Kemba Walker was a move that was supposed to have a big impact. How is that move being viewed now? Uh, you know, it's all about his left knee. So he's had this left knee issue uh, going back to his time in Charlotte, really. Uh, and they didn't think it was a big deal. Um, but, uh, you know, last January, so January 2020, uh, it started to really become a problem. And, and he wasn't the same player. It was obvious. Uh, he sat out for a while, comes back. Uh, and uh, you know was play, played pretty well in the bubble and in the playoffs, but but still had he still wasn't quite himself. You could tell um, had surgery in the off season, kind of surprised everybody uh, with the surgery that he had. Uh, and uh, and you know the knee's sort of been up and down since. You know he came back in uh, I think it was late January and uh, uh, and and has been okay at times and and looked uh, a little off at other times. So uh, you know if when he's on when he when he's playing like. Like Kemba Walker, uh, they're they're a really good team. The thing is that you just don't know with that knee uh, when that's going to happen and, and, and when he's going to have an off night. Uh, um, you know, obviously every player has off nights, but but with him, you can kind of tell he doesn't have the same explosiveness sometimes. When you get a team like the Jazz that is doing very well in the regular season, but doesn't have a whole lot of playoff history success. Uh, like you can put Phoenix in that situation now too. Uh, Denver a couple years back. Mm-hmm. How much do you believe in them? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, when you look at the Western Conference, 
yeah, when you get past the, the 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 Lakers, who you kind of presume if 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 Anthony Davis is healthy, uh, you know, to me it's it's sort of anybody's ball game after that. You know, there's probably you know five other teams I can imagine uh, getting to the conference finals: the Jazz, uh, even Phoenix. Uh, certainly, the Clippers are probably the the, the, the favorite to uh, to play the Lakers in the conference finals. But you know they've they've not looked great. Uh, their defense has been terrible this year. Uh, Denver and and even Portland, uh, you know they they've shown some flashes. Uh, you know you can imagine any of those teams putting together a run and getting to the conference finals. The question is, can you match up with the star power of of Anthony Davis and LeBron James uh, when you get there? Uh, you know, is is any other team really? Uh, right now, I don't think so. I don't think I don't think even the Clippers with the the two star players they have, uh, the the Jazz with the depth that they have. Uh, the Suns with the way Chris Paul has played. You know, I, I just don't think anybody can really, you know, when it comes down to beating LeBron James and Anthony Davis in a seven-game series, uh, I don't think anybody in the West can do it. So, um, yeah, you know, I, 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 you'd have to put the Jazz, you know, probably at the top of the list with the Clippers of teams that that'll likely uh, be in the in the conference finals. I just don't see either of those teams uh, knocking off the Lakers in the end. So if you flip that over to the Eastern Conference, is that the same thing you think about the Nets and their star power? Yeah, I mean, man, you know, Philadelphia's played really, really well. Uh, Miami has gotten its act together. Uh, you know, I mentioned that they had some COVID stuff early on, but but they've been terrific lately. Uh, so if either one of those teams makes a move, you know, if, if Kyle Lowry goes to Philadelphia or Miami, uh, then I'd give uh, I'd give them at least a chance. Uh, against Brooklyn, uh, but you're going to have it's going to have to be you know one of those teams is going to have to make a really major move uh, to, to to really be a threat to the Nets. The Nets are just right now they're just a juggernaut, and <laughs> we haven't even seen uh, Kevin Durant uh, for, for most of this. Uh, you know, it's just their their offense is 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 off the charts, and uh, and I do don't see anybody being able to to slow them down and and uh, uh, and contain them. So. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to see uh, uh, anything except Brooklyn being in the finals. Sean, thanks for a few minutes and coming on and talking a little uh, Celtics and NBA with us. We appreciate it. Okay, thanks, guys. Sean Devendi joining us here, NBA editor for Heavy.com, contributor for Forbes Sports, and he is based in Boston. And PK, when he talks about the West, it's a lot of what uh, we've talked about and heard from uh, other guests. The Jazz are a, a threat, and they've got a shot but the Lakers are the favorites. Well, yeah, that's that's the NBA. I mean, you can usually pick two or three teams that are going to be there in the end, and you're probably going to have about uh, an 80% chance of getting them right. So the joy is in the mystery leading up to it. And then if it gets to that point, can it actually happen? Usually it doesn't happen, and the teams that are identified as the favorites, and now especially since we're halfway through the season, that they are the teams that usually come to pass are the ones still playing and standing at the end. So, yeah, I mean, everybody thinks that. I mean, why wouldn't you? The Jazz have no playoff history. You can't expect them to go in there. and, and they, I mean, they have some playoff history. I shouldn't say none. But the first round really isn't that big of a deal. I mean, no one's talking about being a title contender, just getting out of the first round. Maybe the second round, if you get into the final four of your, uh, well, in the league and the conference, and then that could be a situation where, all right, I take you seriously. But until the Jazz get to that point, 
They don't have any history that says they can rely on it. The Celtics being young, uh, so what? I mean, they got there last year. So the expectations, the expect because they're so young, the expectation expectations is you're should be even, even more, more so yep. the next year. Yeah. All right, so DJ. I don't think their expectations are unrealistic. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Tim LaCombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, coming up at 8.30. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you in part by The Store. The Store has grab-and-go meals and hundreds of local products. The Store has two locations, in Holiday at 6200 South and 2050 East. 6200 South, 2050 East. Also, the second location in the Gateway Mall in downtown Salt Lake City. That is the store. All right, questions of the day. We got multiple questions up. We got college football. We got pro football. We got the Jazz and the NBA. The second of the three questions DJ doesn't believe Taysom Hill will replace Drew Brees as the Saints starting quarterback, and they'll make a trade or they'll go with Jameis Winston. So, like, what do you think? Did I read that right? So, like, when you write you these, do you think, let's see how awkward I can make DJ sound well, when no. he reads these? He actually nailed it with like the whole Utah vernacular in that one right there. So, <laughs> like, like, what do you think? What do you think? Exactly. <laughs> Joshua says if they don't get a guy like Russell Wilson, I think he starts. I think he deserves it. However, I don't think it'd be more than a season. Love Hill, one of the funnest to watch plays so many positions, but I feel like he plays too cautious. He needs to throw to guys before they're open. It's not arm strength. It'll come down to his timing and decision-making. I think he deserves it, though. Oh, jeez. He sucks, but he deserves it? Right. He's my guy. I want him to have a shot, but I'm really worried he's not going to do it. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, it, it doesn't on the surface, but come on. Come on. People don't think... He can do it, but he's a guy who's going to want to have a chance, and hopefully I'll be wrong about it. But you don't deserve it then. You have to earn it. You don't deserve it. Deserve. Uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers deserves to start. He's earned it. Oh, of course. Yeah, but you don't, you don't deserve anything. You've earned it. it doesn't, you, you are going along the lines of entitlement. Entitlement? No. Not, not. For somebody who didn't get anything – and was not entitled to anything. You're, you're not going to get me to, to, to talk about <laughs> entitlement. My father didn't own anything, man. <laughs> and what he did is not anything I wanted to do because I did it. <laughs> uh, you know, he went and cleaned toilets in the day and came home and then went and cleaned office buildings at night. And so uh, I, don't, I don't think you – do you really deserve anything when it comes to this level? Or do you earn it? Well, Does Aaron Rodgers deserve it, or did he earn it? Well, he deserves it because he earned it, I think most people would say. Yeah, but see, if he goes out there and sucks in he the next, two, next year or so, what does he deserve? Well, I guess we'll have to see how bad he sucks and for well, how long he, he sucks will, before but... he gets there, right? I know. It's a hypothetical most of us aren't considering. I think at this level, you're competing all the time. That's true. Once you start getting into deserve stuff, then you have what you have with the Lakers when Kobe Bryant was playing out the string. Your team sucks. Well, he deserved it. You know he. Okay, so then the Lakers have to endure three years of the lottery. 
Well, who wants that? Right. That's what you're trying to avoid. Which because and so that's yeah. why you don't deserve anything. You earn it. Taysom Hill doesn't deserve. He deserves an opportunity to compete. See that I think the thing with the Kobe example is that so once you kind of hit the off switch on competitive on purpose for three years because he deserves it, now you got to jump start and try to go from zero to sixty, and that's hard to do even when you're the Lakers, which is why their lottery streak stretched beyond three years, and it's four, and it's five, and it's. It's going to keep going until we get LeBron, and they did, and then that changed things. And, and it, you have the same thing with Dallas. Yavitsky, yep. he deser- yep. you don't deserve it. Why, why cut that off, man? Was it Branch Rickey or somebody with the Dodgers way back when? Trade him a year early, cut him a year early, then a year late? Yep. Somebody said it. I don't know. It, it is the Dodger the organization, and I don't know who it was in the Dodger organization, yeah. but it was definitely better to move on a year too early than a year yeah. too late. Yeah, this is a cold-hearted business. Right. So when these guys are treated like pieces of meats who can buy a mansion and never have to work again the rest of their lives, so where do I sign up to be treated like a piece of meat? I mean, right. every, every, everyone's a victim in this world in which we live in today. Everyone's got something they can whine about, including me, and I'm right there at the top of the list with being a whiner. So we hear all that, but I, to me, you, you're trying to win every single year. Your fans are paying hard-earned money when everything is back to normal to, to be in these games and on support you and all. And do I want uh, sentiment to get in the way? No, I don't want that. I want to field the best team that I could possibly field every year because if that team wins it, then and the other guy got cut, well, I'll get over it. They're all going to end up changing and moving on at some point. Nobody stays forever, you know. And it'd be cool if the statues were still 25 and Jerry Sloan was stalking the sidelines like a caged animal. <laughs> it was a great time it when it existed. And, and we all loved it. I loved it during the time, and I miss it. You know, and I'd love to have that back, but that's not the way it works. You move on, so you got to make these tough decisions here that are based on you, know, you got to put feelings aside. You, you want, I think the fans want, they want to win. They're not interested in sentimentality. So I think the people of New Orleans, yeah, Taysom Hill is a nice story and all, but if he's not good enough to be the starting quarterback, they don't want him to be the starting quarterback. And that's for Sean Payton and his guys to decide. I don't think you deserve anything. You earn everything that you get. Now you're talking like Bill Belichick, who's the least sentimental coach you've seen. And to bring it back to uh, Taysom Hill, Christopher says he deserves a chance, but I wouldn't put all my eggs yeah. in that basket. I wish him nothing but success. And if you're, the, don't you think that of all the comments, I think that's the comment that comes close to closest to what the Saints coaching staff thinks. Well, I think it should come closest to what every coaching staff thinks. I no like him. What your situation is. But I'm not putting all my eggs in that back, basket. No. I got Jameis over here. And, and the thing is, I think both those guys are seen as high-end backups or low-end starters. Now, if they actually get a full season here, assuming the Saints don't make a trade, right? Assuming Houston and Seattle hold on to their guys because it's hard to get guys like that. And if they even talk to someone about trading them, the price tag is so high that it's just not worth it. Why do you assume that Taysom Hill is a low-end starter? Because I think that's what is, until you've been a full-time starter and you've had success, I think that's what most people assume you are. So Trevor Lawrence is viewed as a low-end starter? Yeah, right now. Really? 
Wow. And he's probably the outlier to what I'm saying, but still, he's not viewed as a play. The thing is, if you're viewed as a playoff quarterback, is he viewed? He's viewed as a probable potential playoff quarterback, but he's not viewed as a playoff quarterback. And so, I think that makes you a low end. That makes you a low end starter. He's got more upside. The thing is, he's got more upside than the guys who are already in the league who haven't done it. And how do you know Jason Hill doesn't have any upside? Well, you don't, and that's why he's getting paid what he's getting paid, and that's why. So how do you view him as anything? He's viewed as a mystery right now. I don't view him as anything. What do you go three and one, four and one as a starter last year? Something along those lines. Right. One of the games was just handing off because Denver was starting a receiver at quarterback. Uh, because of the COVID situations, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Right. So, there so was we're no going to get a two-score lead, and yeah. then we are going to take the air out yeah. of the ball. There's no need to throw the ball. The only way you're going to allow the defense and special teams to beat you, and you weren't going to do that. So I really can't put that one or his lack of production on him in that way because they weren't allowed to. Uh, he wasn't allowed to. So I don't know how to view him. That's what this – off season, and I don't know what they're going to do with preseason games and all this stuff. But it's, I haven't. Cl- I have, I can't say I view him as a as anything. If he reviewed the way Trevor Lawrence would be, then Jameis Winston would he even be there, or would he be off to some other team? I don't know. If if Jameis I mean, Winston wanted to go to some other team, he could have, but he know, wanted to stay there. The Cardinals, the Chargers, and apparently Jacksonville here pretty quickly. Unproven quarterbacks who are viewed to have a huge upside. Now, maybe they will have a huge upside, and maybe they won't. You know, They haven't won playoff games yet. They haven't gone to Super Bowls yet, but they're young and just getting started. But Taysom isn't viewed that way. He hasn't been viewed that way, or he would have been handed the keys to a franchise. Over Drew Brees? Before now. Well, not the Saints franchise, but some franchise. He would have left as a free agent. He would have had people beaten down the door, and someone would have given him the keys to the co- keys to the car. Oh, I don't know that I can assume that the the Saints gave him a whale of a deal. I mean, if you're happy where you're at, and you're getting paid a ton of money, uh, and you're a small town kid, I mean, why would you go chasing after something else that, that may or may not work when you know you got a good situation there? I can't say that. And he knows that he's playing uh, for a team that has a 40-year-old quarterback, and he's playing for a coach that clearly believes in him. I can't say that, oh, if he was good. What you're saying, if he was really that good, he would have left. No, I think if people thought he was really that good. <laughs> you keep putting That's, it on other people. You don't want to well, put it yeah. on yourself. <laughs> no, because because the other clubs have to offer him that opportunity. They have to go with somebody else. I mean, Washington – They've been in the quarterback market forever. Uh, Jacksonville's been in the quarterback market forever. How do you know that he had any interest of going to Washington? I'm just throwing him out because they signed a quarterback yesterday. And I'm throwing it out, too. You put out any team out there. Go through a list of teams that need a QB. Did they go for New Orleans. That's why he stayed. 
Yeah, he knew full that, well that Drew Brees was going to be retiring. Of all the people who knew, it was probably going to be his family, and it was going to be Taysom Hill. So well, that's like Steve Young. When Steve Young was a backup, well, they viewed him as a mid to lower guy because all the teams that needed a quarterback, why didn't he sign with them? He didn't want to. He wanted to stay right there because he knew that was a good situation, and he knew his time would come, and he knew he'd be an NFL MVP. He knew he'd win a Super Bowl, and he knew he'd be a Hall of Famer. Why didn't he leave? It's the same exact situation. There was a ton of conflict there, and it did work out that way, but I don't think everybody knew for sure it was going to work out that way. But they, if the teams needed a quarterback, go down the list. Why didn't they offer him? Why didn't he leave? It's the exact same situation. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. DJ PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision has given you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Well, PK, yes, it, was it, this, it was in this time, spl- time slot 24 hours ago that we heard Kyle Whittingham and Andy Ludwig talking in this segment about the youths and their plans going forward. And, of course, there's stuff they'll tell you and there's stuff they won't and the stuff that they might be thinking, but they got to see exactly how it plays out. But you were told a long time ago, and to be clear, this is you getting told, not you just dreaming this up, that there were people, people in high places, who thought the youths should be running double tight ends just like Stanford. I just had another NFL signing breaking. This is going to continue on the rest of this week probably. But uh, the Patriots yeah. went out and got a free agent tight end from the Chargers. Hunter Henry gave him $25 million guaranteed, $37.5 million uh, overall, but $25 million guaranteed. And Yach immediately said, it's clear Belichick is trying to recreate the double tight ends he had with Gronk and Hernandez. Who's the other guy they signed, Yach? I already forgot. Jonu Smith. Yes. And they gave him big money, too. They gave him big money as well. Right. Was he $20 million guaranteed? Something like that. Something two like years, that? yeah. Yeah. So, double tight ends. Now, there's Belichick doing it in the NFL. I know the NFL game's a little different than the college game. But we've seen Stanford do it in the Pac-12. You've heard this rattling around about the Utes and people thinking this is the direction to go. Uh, at the time, I think they had an offensive coordinator who had no plans on going that direction. But this happens at the University of Utah. That was, you know, at least one offensive coordinator ago, maybe two. I can't even remember, honestly. But this year, we've seen receivers transfer. And they do have a good slot receiver, but as you said yesterday, when you have a small slot receiver, how many times a game do you want to get him hit? Because, you know, he's just not going to take that much punishment that you can throw him the ball 10 times a game. So do you think that the roster is really going to dictate they go towards double tight ends? And how will that work? And I don't think you can answer the second question, but maybe you can answer the first one. And there's still the transfer portal out there, and, and Kyle alluded to the, has alluded to the fact that they want to see what they can go get a wide receiver in the transfer portal. So what the roster looks like now may not be what it looks like in the fall, and yet nonetheless, there it is, tantalizing. The Patriots are doing it <laughs> again. Stanford's done it. Are the Utes going to do it? Because there are people who know more football than you and I put together who think they could be pretty good if they did that. Who the hell knows more football than me? Well, there's a list of people, but... Name them. Kyle Whittingham. No. <laughs> Morgan Scally, Kalani Sataki, Jay Hill, no, Aaron guys, Roderick, no, Kathy Sataki. They're special. Sharif now, Shah. I was going to say Sharif Shah. Yeah, I don't know. I just started throwing that Herm Edwards, I'll give you. Okay, Herm Edwards. 
Well, because, you know. Hey, you, you, if you want to throw it, Herm Edwards her. out there. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. it. <laughs> Antonio well, Pierce. Oh, yeah. I hope they do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. What if they don't? Yeah, then they're right back to where they've always been. Uh, well, it's funny you say that because if you look at the depth chart that they put out yesterday, and, and Kyle always scoffs at the Jeff at the uh, depth chart. He always says it was his go-to guy for like the polls or the depth chart is Jeff Rudy, uh, who got a promotion. He was um, I don't know exactly what his title is, but he's been with the program. He's for now a associate year. athletic director. Uh, he's been yeah, he's been around the program a number of years. Good dude. Uh, but if you look at the depth chart that was put out as recently as yesterday, because yesterday was the first the start of uh, spring practice, they list two tight ends. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but they listed they had tight end listed twice. So they had tight end Cole Fotheringham, and then they had Kincaid, the kid they got from San Diego, uh, where he played uh, University of uh, San Diego, I think it was. And then they've got tight end, Brant Keithy, and then his backup, uh, Kenny Niamatololo's son. Uh, so they already have that this year. Did you know that? I did not look that closely at it. I've been disappointed I when I have looked closely at two deeps before because I've seen like 14 or 15 positions listed. Slot well, receiver, two tight ends, three wide receivers. Let's see. Well, obviously you're not doing that. Tackle, guard, center, guard, mm-hmm. tackle. So it's that. That's the traditional five. So did they only right? list one wide receiver on the depth chart? Well, I'm going to I'll go through it right now. So tight end, two tight ends. Now we're up to seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they actually do have a quarterback. I know it's the U of U. We're surprised. hey yeah. <laughs> That's eight. Uh, running back, nine. And uh, three receivers. That's 12. So... You don't buy that they're going to go with the. They're not going to. This is not the Canadian Football League. <laughs> no, I don't. No, 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 no. I think I'm that not, they will. I, I understand. That. They will go. They will go double tight ends at times, but they're clearly going to use a slot receiver at times. at times. So at times doesn't tell us much because I what agree. I don't know is is at times like ten percent of the snaps or seventy percent of the snaps or somewhere in between. Well, I think that you should go with what your talent dictates. You know, we've heard coaches a million times over just trying to get the 11 best players yep. out on the field. And if that includes, in this case, now Fotheringham and Keithy, these guys are vets. Yep. Seems like they've been there about seven, eight years. They're both juniors, but they've, they've been playing a lot since freshmen, so that seems like they've been there a long time. But the fact is both of these kids have a significant amount of experience, and they look to be good players for sure. So go ahead and do that uh, and play to your strengths, whatever your strengths are. Just I keep coming back to Kyle believes a, uh, a spread offense is the most difficult to defend. And so that's basically what he's been advocating for. But I will say this, that uh, as far as freedom as an offensive coordinator, Andy Ludwig has it. Yeah, or as much as you can have under Kyle, you know. I think, and and we've spoken to Norm. Norm Chow was just there for a season, and you know, talk about respected. You don't get anybody who's more respected from the offensive coordinator's position than Norm Chow. And we've spoken to him on the air, and I've spoken to him off the air a million times. And and he'll say, he'll tell you, and I don't think it's any secret. You know, coaching for Kyle can be tough, uh, but he felt like he had the freedom to do what he did. And plus, they had. They had limited talent. Yeah. He was working with a 
D2 or something. Yeah, no, it was D2. Uh, it was a D2 transfer yeah. quarterback. So he right. couldn't really – he wasn't going to open right. it up. <laughs> just start right. flinging it all over yeah. the field. And the thing about double tight ends is if your tight ends are athletic enough – and they can line up like slot receivers. They don't have to line up like seven oh, blocks Keithy of granite can. or whatever. Oh, Keithy absolutely has the athleticism to do it. Yeah. So the question is, then you can play with one tight end and he's in the slot. Do you move another guy into a slot so it looks like four wide? You know, if, if you trust one of these well, other you guys. Have Covey. That's where Covey is. Covey, if he comes in as a slot receiver, right. Well, that's all he is. Not, I mean, from the receiver standpoint, that's all he is. Uh, he they use him in in ball carrying situations too, but you got to be careful because most likely he's always going to be the smallest guy out on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, obviously in height and in weight, which is why I love the kid. Why I love the kid for a million different reasons, but every you, know, you root for the underdog physically in a game of football, and he's as tough as they come. But there's only so much toughness that he has in him, given his size limitations. You know, if he was at six two, he'd probably be at Alabama. Uh, but you look at these other guys there, and they don't really have any proven commodities. Solomon Enos is your number one guy. I mean, they basically lost two guys that I think you would put ahead of Solomon. Now, that doesn't mean Solomon can't have a great season. They're going to they're gonna need – he's going to need to come up big, that's for sure, because you just can't go to the tight ends and the slot guy exclusively or the kids coming out of the backfield. You've got to get the ball downfield and that obviously is going to come from your wideouts uh, more often than not. And it looks like if, if Enos comes through and has a big-time season and can get, and I hesitate to say it, but if he can get 700, 800 yards of receiving, uh, which doesn't seem outrageous, but for Utah it sort of seems outrageous because the last 1,000-yarder was Tress Anderson, and it seems like uh, that was a long time ago that uh, Drez Anderson was That's because it was a long time ago. For Utah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think Drez might have been a, Ma- a Mountain West recruit. Uh, maybe not. I think he was. Uh, that, just to give you an idea of how long. Now, obviously, he played in the Pac-12 as those guys made the transition. But they're going to have to figure out a way to, to, to do that. If they I – th- I think now, just winning the South, this would be nice this year because it's with a new group of guys. Uh, but at the same time, if you're doing it with Brewer and he's your guy taking the majority of your steps, well, he's gone. So it's not like you're really building something. You know, that was what was cool uh, three years ago when you won the South. You knew you had just about everybody in your dog coming back, and you were going to be the overwhelming favorite, which they were. I think they, what, uh, 36 votes, and they got 34 or 35, and they got 33. They were the overwhelming favorite. And they did win the South. So I can't say winning the South and losing in the title game would be a disappointing season this year. It would be a disappointment to lose that individual game when you got there, obviously. But with a new group of kids, it seems like winning the South, hard for me to label that as a bad season, a disappointing season, since you have so many kids. But at the same time, if you want to win – that game and get to the Rose Bowl, you're going to have to have big plays downfield. And a kid like Enos right now is your guy. Now, they may bring in two or three kids, grad transfers, whatever. I don't know. I would think they'd have a hard time getting top-end guys who are receivers to commit because you had potential top-end guys leave your program who've already been in it for many years. 
See what I'm saying? I get that. I just wonder. You always talk about the different uh, the different mental makeup of a transfer versus a high school kid. And uh-huh. hard sell to the high school kid. I'm not saying it can't be done. At some point, you know, that'll break through. I don't think it's like they're never going to have a thousand yard receiver again. But it also the way it's going, it wouldn't surprise me if the next thousand yard receiver they had was a transfer. And somebody who says, well, they got Brewer there, and it doesn't look like I got a number one receiver on the roster. I got one year. I should go there and do it. I mean, what are my options if I go somewhere else? It's like the yeah. NBA. You always talk about the free agents. Well, yeah, how many years am I getting? How much money am I getting? But how much playing time am I getting? Because that's going to determine my next deal. True. But if that, that stuff has been in existence now for several weeks and months, why haven't they done it? Yeah, uh, an excellent question. And it, and it may be that they don't land talent, and that is why I brought up, hey, how much double tight end are they going to play? Because that's where most of the receiving talent, well, not all, but that's where most of the receiving talent looks like it is on the roster. I think listing two tight ends and you can't play with 12, I understand that, but that's a start in that direction. Well, it is a start because if they don't list two tight ends, then they're not going to do it. And Kyle, last year in that you know, that crazy, stupid season that we had seemed like he went out of his way several times to mention Kincaid. Yes, I Uh, completely agree. And and so so that makes me think the kid's got something. He's not going to keep mentioning him if he's not, if there's not something there. I didn't, we didn't see enough of really anybody outside of Ty Jordan to, to get excited offensively. Now we didn't really need to see much more out of Keithy or Covey to be excited about them anyway, but I'm talking about new players uh, Ty Jordan we saw a lot, and yes, we were super excited, and the tragedy is unspeakable. I think he would have played in the NFL, blah, 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 all that stuff. Uh, but everybody else, Kincaid, I really didn't see enough of him to think, wow, man, he could really be something special this season. They can rely on him for X amount of catches. But I do know Kyle kept bringing him up, which means he saw something in the kid when they were practicing. I think if they're going to commit to double tight ends, at minimum, they've got to really believe in three of them. And clearly, Keithy's proven. And I think they believe in Fotheringham. Uh, He hasn't piled up the receiving stats to the degree Keithy has. But I think he's got enough snaps and he's played enough as a young player that they got, you know, they, they like what they've seen and they've got even higher expectations. But you better have a third, if not a fourth one, if you're really going to commit to that. You know, and you don't have to have two guys all the time. I mean, you've got a slot receiver you can go to for some snaps. You know, maybe some obvious passing situations. Uh, but the advantage of having two tight ends out there who can block and who at any moment, you know, the quarterback can just you know raise an arm, whatever their code word is, and those two guys can flex out and become slot receivers. Or they could be out and they could come in and all of a sudden got the power run. And just because it looks like power run doesn't mean they aren't running downfield, you know, some seam route for 20 yards. I mean, it, it seems like it would give them a lot of flexibility. And there are other people making a lot of money who've had a lot of success. I mean, what are the Patriots doing? It looks like they're getting ready to play double tight ends. So, and how long ago was it you heard that? Oh, my gosh. It was, well, what I can tell you specifically. I can't remember the year, but it was regarding Dalton Schultz. And whenever he was coming out of Bingham, so go back and figure that out. I, I don't know when that was off yeah. the top of my head. But the but point been, is it was a while ago. Yeah, the, That's the, six or so years ago now. The yeah. conversation was, we're going to miss on this kid because we don't feature the tight ends 
and we need to do it. This is who we are. This is who we should be. We need to pattern our recruiting after Stanford because the type of kids that are in our area lend itself towards that. The type of kids that we can recruit and have most success with, these are the kids. And Dalton, he's going to go to Stanford. To me, uh, I think anybody who gets a full, especially in the West, if you get a full scholarship, which is what football is, to Stanford, you should say yes. <laughs> That's just my personal opinion. If they, if you get admitted and they offer you, I don't even care if the team sucks. You should still say yes. <laughs> it's Stanford, baby. <laughs> yes, because you're, you're you're setting yourself up big time. And they knew they weren't going to be able to get him, and he was right down the street. And it was frustrating, and that's where that whole conversation emanated. So he was a true freshman in 2014. So you probably had that. His senior year would have been twenty the, the high school season mm-hmm. of 2013. Yeah, that's that's it, that's was, it would have been, so it would have been the season seven and a half years or now. maybe yeah. maybe spring ball of fourteen when I had that. But it'll be that. interesting to see how the roster sets up, and with transfers, you don't know for sure. Um, but the two deep gives you a hint that's where it could be going, and I'll we'll see how that plays out. You know, see what they land, see who they land in the transfer portal. All right, DJ PK, the Jazz and the Celtics tonight. You'll hear Tim Lacombe on the broadcast here. He does the Jazz pregame, halftime, and postgame. With uh, Jake Scott, I almost said Jake Hatch, with Jake Scott, and uh, we will talk with him next. Tim uh, had a tweet out, and we're going to ask him about this, specifically what's wrong with the Jazz, specifically what is wrong with the offense, and one thing he would change immediately, and he will tell you about that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Kyle Whittingham, kind enough to join us. What's the one thing that you absolutely have to get out of this spring camp? We have got to start to get the quarterback position settled. And I say get started on it because with Cam not involved, you can't have a definitive uh, answer or conclusion. But we've got to get a great evaluation on the guys that are going to be taking reps and make sure we get those guys situated in the depth chart properly and decide who going into fall is going to you know be that third guy because Cam and, and Charlie are obviously battle for that starting job and so we've got to get those guys behind them situated. Hanson Scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Brought to you in part by SNS Roofing. This segment is brought to you by SNS Roofing. Their huge winter and spring sales event is going on now, where you can save thousands on a new roof. Call pound two fifty and say SNS Roofing for your free bid. Time to welcome in Tim Lacombe. Tim, is this the party hands? Yeah, that's just like a little studio jerker, you know, run through. So yeah, it's not you live on tour. No, no. That's what I we, want. we haven't quite hit live on tour yet. We're gonna. If uh, COVID keeps cooperating, we're gonna have that party we put on hold. So, fingers there it is. crossed, man. There it is. Party hounds, you saw an amphitheater. Let's go. Uh, I don't know if we can fill that, but DJ, you'll be there. It'll be in an undisclosed location. <laughs> an undisclosed location. 
<laughs> little pop-up concert. Tim, you caught my eye on Twitter with a very specific tease. The old ball coach, hearkening back to your BYU days. I suspect hearkening back to a film room with Rick Majerus when you worked at the University of Utah. What's wrong with the Jazz? They're four and five in the last nine. The turnovers are driving everyone to distraction. Twenty whatever against uh, against Houston, and they won. And then fourteen, a lot of them off the dribble, poorly timed, that led to layups going the other way for the Golden State Warriors. And you put out a tweet: too much dribbling. Get back to passing. Would you like to elaborate and explain to the people? Well, I think you know if you watch this team play, which uh, I would imagine. All the diehards at 8.30 a.m., uh, you know, are, are jazz people. So we watch this team. And I think that one of the things that's been pretty evident through the year is, it, you know, one of the, the words I'd use to tag this team is just how incredibly unselfish they are. Um, you know, and teams have done a good job of showing different looks to really kind of confound, confuse, make the jazz, you know, uh, just not be in rhythm. And in that particular tweet, I think, was motivated. I think, you know, Quinn has talked a lot about really quick decisions. Point five is what he talks about. When you catch the ball, you really have a quick decision to drive, shoot, or pass. And I think that that is one area. I think the Jazz are are holding on to it a little bit too long, waiting for a matchup to, uh, you know, to develop or – um, you know, just trying to analyze too much, driving into crowds, things like that, that we just didn't see a ton of that uh, early on. I think the ball was was freely moving. And for whatever reason, I think teams go through, um, you know, I guess David Locke referred to it yesterday's storm. You know, teams go through storms during the year. And I would say they're in the midst of one right now. They just uh, having a hard time finding that same type of rhythm they had earlier on in, the positive thing is same coaching staff, same coaches, everybody, you know, understanding what needs to be done. Now it's just a matter of being able to find that groove again, getting that rhythm, um, and get back to winning. Okay, so what uh, has to happen immediately first quarter to be able to get to that rhythm? You know, I think it really takes one guy to to start it and – um, you know, we just have not seen a lot of those possessions for a while, at least a couple of games where, you know, the ball's driven and kicked and driven and kicked and it's moved and guys are basically ending up with, with catch and shoot, feet set, threes. Um, and really that's the play that or drives or rolls or what the Jazz are kind of looking for. I would just think that, uh, you know, it's something that they're, they're going to face an opponent tonight and the Celtics is very – capable defensively and can cause some issues. Um, but I, I think the Jazz just need to figure out how to play with a little bit more force. And once to come to the ball, just move it. Um, make it a simple game. And the defense will always tell you where the ball should go if you pay attention. Um, and the Jazz have been great at it. So it's just a matter of getting back to that. So it seemed like some of what the Warriors were doing was the simplest stuff. They play in the way that uh, a lot of teams play in high school the way a long time ago my team played in high school, and nobody does it in the NBA because it's too easy to solve for these guys. But when they were driving and Bogey was losing the ball, uh, the closest help defender was coming in and trying to flick the ball away. And 
in the NBA, you often don't rotate from the closest help defender. You don't leave the short corner because it's too easy a pass and too easy a shot for NBA guys. That's something you do to 17-year-olds who aren't as good. And yet, because it's never done, maybe that's why it was so effective. But we've been seeing all these teams like just clinging to three-point shooters, and they were leaving the closest three-point shooter trying to create a turnover, and it worked, and it seemed to get the Jazz out of their rhythm. Are they going to see more of that, or was that really a one-time deal? Uh, you know, it's a great observation, first of all. I mean, I just, have, I just marvel at your basketball eye, really. It's, it's amazing how you pull stuff out, Deej. Uh, wait, I called you Deej again. Um, yeah, the whole oh, thing kind Deej. of felt uh, like Deej. a weak compliment there. You're taking a shot, Sorry. to be honest. I see what you did. No, I, I'm, I'm being dead serious. I, oh, think it's an, okay. I think it's a great point, and I think what the Jazz did not do is just make that simple play, that simple read. Um, you know, very rarely do you see anybody help off the strong side. Um, all help is usually disguised, you know, coming from the weak side. And this year, people have been really, really – it's been interesting because they've actually switched pick and roll and then rotated, you know, with the biggest guy on the weak side to get rid of the guard and the pick and roll on the roll. So guys have done a great job of disguising looks, but you're right. Golden State just basically, um, they just dug off of the nearest guys and whether that was a shooter in the corner or, you know, coming maybe coming off of, of Rudy guys were really active and, Surprisingly, the Jazz didn't make a whole lot of uh, adjustments to that, and, and they were all night. It seemed like you know at a pivotal moment there was just those turnovers for touchdowns that kill you. Um, so, uh, am, am I concerned? Yeah, I'm concerned, uh, but I don't lose sleep over it because again, I think you know it'd be one thing if if the Jazz lost pivotal pieces or to injury or anything like that. We've got the same guys, um, and it is a thing where you know. It looks from the outside like guys just aren't playing very hard or trying very hard, but it is kind of the it is the storm, the lull of the season. You just got to figure out how to get through that piece and get some positive things happening again. All right, so don't lose sleep. The lull of the season, the storm, all those things. What level of nervousness do you have, if any? Well, no, I'm definitely nervous because I. I think what this team hung its hat on for me was they really did start as much as everybody wanted to talk about the offense and, and uh, gosh, it's fun. You know, the number of threes they're making and, um, and the, like I said, the unselfish ball movement, all that stuff. But really this team is only going to be as good as they, as their defense really locks in. Um, and that's really been the most concerning part to me since, you know, of this, of this little stretch here, a couple games before the all-star break and, and to now, is their defensive numbers have, have really gotten, uh, you know, gone in the wrong direction. And I, I feel like it's just got to be a re-emphasis. Um, you know, Rudy was unbelievable the other night, but he can only do so much, and everybody else has kind of got to dive in and do that too. Again, I'm not, I'm not taking shots or questioning effort, anything like that. I think it's just a matter of everybody being on the same page and getting – the result that they were getting earlier. Tim Lacombe joining us, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst. And as much as it's always about the Jazz and you play the game, not your opponent, especially when the opponents come so fast every night, the Celtics present some unique challenges, maybe some unique opportunities too. I look at them and I see a couple of young stars. And if the Jazz are in the middle of a storm, well, so are the Celtics. And they're hanging their hat on 23- and 24-year-olds. 
23 and 24 24-year-olds who are pretty accomplished by NBA standards. You know, they've been to conference finals and all that. Uh, but the expectations to go to NBA finals and only a couple games over 500. So how much an opportunity is this for the Jazz? How much does the elite athletic ability and the skill of these two guys present a major problem? And how much does the Celtics' lack of depth and opportunity for a Jazz team that we've seen have real success while the bench is on the floor? We've, we've seen the bench go on runs. Yeah, we have. Uh, and, and I think that's part of what was a bummer the other night is, you know, Golden State has been atrocious without uh, Draymond and Steph Curry on the floor, as they should be, because they've got a bunch of young guys and, and transitional guys and, and uh, you know, guys that are playing two-way deals and that sort of thing. So I, I guess from the Celtics' point of view, the, the part that is encouraging is the Celtics are, you know, have been kind of weathering a storm. I think the piece that stands out with difficulty is Tatum and Brown, particularly his ability to play in isolation uh, and really attack the defense uh, because those two guys are, are phenomenal at it. And, um, you know, the Jazz have to really figure out a, a nice strategy to, to really kind of slow them down. And then offensively, honestly, I, 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 think, I think watching this film, watching the tape, I would just encourage the guys to get back to making a, a simple play, an easy play. Um, you know, I think at times it may be one too, dribble too many. Uh, but the, at the very sign of a second defender, that ball should really be moving. Because if you move the ball there, then the defense has to react. And you have them basically reacting what you're doing as opposed to uh, constantly in reaction to what they're doing. And, and I think that was a comment that was made. I can't remember by who. It might have been Rudy after the game um, against the Warriors. But he talked about being... Uh, being the one that dictates to the defense and the offense on the other team what's going to happen that night. And the Jazz have just been too much in reaction as opposed to dictating. And and that's part of the force we talk about a lot and Quinn talks about. Um, but I honestly believe offensively it hinges on just making a simple play and doing it early in the game, making a simple play for a buddy, letting him kick in a shot, get a good feeling going. Um, rally defensively, get some stops, and get out and go. And that's really that's the that's the simple, like uh, Cliff Notes version of what this Jazz team needs to do. Is Ainge, which the I know you guys of... you guys did a lot of Cliff Notes because because it beat um, going to class. <laughs> because it beat going to class. You're dang right. There was go a, ahead. There was a beach 150 yards away. Is Ainge the godfather of BYU basketball? Is Ames the godfather of BYU basketball? Yes, I would say he probably is. Um, I would say there's several, but I would say he's the he's the Don. I like it. I refer to him as Don Ainge. Yeah, can we get a little music? <laughs> Let me ask you, I've got a problem with an inbounds play. I need to get a guy freed up for a three. This is what the average media member and the average uh, BYU fan commuting right now, this is what they wonder. How much in the middle of a season, nice, Yach, well done. Well done, Yach. In an average season when the NBA games are coming fast and furious and he's got to scout college kids and BYU's got a couple games a week, how much back-channel communication is there? How many, 
How many texts and phone calls over the course of the year? Is it two? Is it 20? Is it 200? How big a save does the Don have? With the Don? Uh, you know, at least from my experience, the Don was very considerate to check in several times a year. Um, sometimes with, uh, you know, when you were when things were going great and just uh, offering support and encouragement and excitement. And likewise, when things were tough. Um, but I will tell you that Don himself is a wonderful guy. And I couldn't be more happy for that whole situation, you know, BYU getting to the tournament. And I know that probably makes the Don happy. He's on a, bar- a park bench in Boston in the North End somewhere, you know, feeding pigeons and uh, figuring out how they're going to beat the Jets tonight. <laughs> Uh, so what about this matchup, either Michigan State or UC Los Angeles? Well, I, I did find it funny. I mean, I have to I have to chuckle, and I think I've made it fairly clear via Twitter and such that <clears throat> to me the NCAA is it's not my favorite org. Um, but it, it is funny because BYU gets a six, which is totally deserved. Um, and I'm so happy for those guys for that. But here's your six. You're not going to know who you're going to play for a couple days. And, oh, by the way, it's either Michigan State or UCLA, which you guys probably have done the math. What's the the number of titles amongst them? Thirteen. I knew you'd done the math. Thirteen. Oh, no, by the way, the one team, like seriously, I'm watching teams all year long. Uh, The one team I would say – at least the BYU team I was with, I wouldn't want to see the length, athleticism, craziness is Texas. And so they get through that first one in Texas sitting there. But, uh, you know, Mark Pope said when he got the job, he's going to do things that haven't been done. And, um, and he's doing an awesome job at setting a great foundation. So, uh, you know, hey, they're, they're one of two teams in the state that made the tournament, and we got to rally around them. And, and, uh, or else the Don won't be happy with you. It's going to be Michigan State, isn't it? UCLA lost to Colorado, Oregon, USC, and Oregon State. They got a four-game losing streak. All four of those teams are in the NCAA tournament. They've had a couple of key injuries. UCLA's not winning that game. It's going to be BYU-Michigan no, State, right? No, I mean, one, w- one would think, uh, obviously crazy stuff happens, but the other X factor in that to me is just Tom Izzo's experience. Um, you know, he's he, when tournament time rolls around, I watched it time and time again. He, he brought teams in, you know, from all different uh, – he had teams that were were playing great and teams that were were okay. And when March rolls around and gets to the tournament, he just does an awesome job. So um, the one thing about Michigan State, they just keep bringing big dudes on the floor, knocking you around. And so if it is BYU Michigan State, if it does come to that, because I think if it's BYU CLA, I think BYU wins by you know double digits probably. The Michigan State game will be a battle. Um, I still believe BYU can find a way to win it. But, um, you know, Izzo does a great job of just kind of mucking the game up and, and playing really physical, and they just keep bringing guys off the bench that can do that. It's crazy to me when you look at Michigan State's their season, it's not anything close to what we've seen out of that program for so many years. But at the same time, they've beaten two one-seeds and a two-seed. That scares the crap out of me from the BYU perspective. Oh, for sure. Um, again, I think that just goes to – you know, the years that we, we sat in that room and Texas A&M popped up a couple, two years in a row. And really, 
if you could drop at that point, kryptonite for us at that time was was uh, very physical, long, athletic. Um, and we just had a difficult time. You know, they switched everything. We had a difficult time finding a way to get shots. And, I, and I've talked about this for a couple of weeks, you know, that once the matchups come out, that's when you can really determine how far a team can go. On one hand, I really like BYU's matchup because UCLA and Michigan State are down. They haven't had stellar years. Um, the, the converse of that is that it's UCLA and Michigan State, and they've got great players, you know, you're, the, just by virtue of who they are, they're going to have a pretty good amount of talent. Um, so the first round, I think, uh, is going to be tougher than, like, for instance, you know, if you were to draw uh, an 11 that um, is, a, is a non-power five or maybe doesn't have all of the, the things that those two teams have. But to me, the biggest bummer is just having to wait so long to determine who you're going to play and then kind of have that short window um, you can have two guys working on it. I understand that. You can have a guy scouting UCLA and Michigan State. But it is really tricky when you're trying to figure out with your team what to focus on that week in practice. Um, what we used to do in a situation like this is we would just tear a couple of the best actions away from both teams. We wouldn't identify them. You know, we just kind of keep a generic um, defensive segment where we just guard, you know, maybe three or four of one team's actions and three or four of the others just so that we could get a look and it would help us in our prep. Well, there's also time to watch Hoosiers and then take them to the gym you're going to play in and Mark Pope pulls out the tape and measures the rim and the free throw line. Am I right? I mean, that movie's older I, than I these. would imagine that would probably be a good time to do that. Right, yeah. You're actually in that building, right? Yeah, and the, and this mo- the movie is well, way older than these players. you do that? That's the dumbest thing you could possibly do. You're going in acknowledging you're the overwhelming underdog, so we're going to measure. We're the sixth seed, and we're going to measure the hoop. That whole thing was the little guy beating the big guy. You're defeated the second you have that attitude. Get out of here. No, it's the magic of a big win in March. We're living (laughs) the dream. There will be multiple wins in this building. So is Mark Mark, going to go do that? Then Mark Few's going to go do that then, because it's the magic. No way. You're going in expecting to pack. You pack for two weeks minimum, and then you do your wash for the third week. Get out of town, man. That's the whole under, the whole premise of the Hoosiers thing is the underdog beating the teams from the higher classifications. Once BYU takes that attitude, get on the plane and come home then. Well, My hey, goodness, hey, that's the dumbest hey. thing I've heard. PK, BYU didn't take that approach. That was just a suggestion. Well, it's a dumb suggestion. By your partner. It's a dumb suggestion by my partner. <laughs> I've, heard, I've never been involved in one of these, but I've heard it was it would be like a traffic accident. So you I don't know. Go who in thinking that you're the beast, man. I'm. I've been you in so sure many of them. You make sure you send them the the tape measure. I've been. I've been in so many of them that I'm belted in. I've got the uh, I got the NASCAR headgear on and the airbags ready to deploy. Five point harness. Yeah, I got the five point harness. I am the airbag. Believe me, (laughs) I am the I am the airbag. Cuckoo, cuckoo! Is that what you're doing? You going Beatles on me? I am I'm the, the hot airbag. Cuckoo, cuckoo! I am the walrus. All right, Tim, we're way over, but that was fun. A little Godfather, a little Beatles. You got it all.
What's the what's the line? Have I ever have I ever denied you? <laughs> what is it, PK? Oh, what the Godfather? Yeah, have I ever died? I can't remember the great line. Dang it! I shouldn't have brought. DJ's it up. the he's the Don impersonator. It's actually one of his better ones. I do. Can I do the Godfather. I do the Godfather and Kermit the Frog. Those are my go-to's. The kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. If we're not careful, Jake's going to be like, "What do you say we go to break here?" <laughs> yeah, like I, I highly suggest we go to break here. Tim, we appreciate it as always. We will hear you tonight with Jake Scott Jazz pregame. It's an early one. You'll be home early tonight. 4.30 pregame, 5.30 the tip. It's on TNT and right here on the Zone Sports Network. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 the Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Was the game itself an outlier, or do you think it's a problem area for the Jazz moving forward? I don't think they necessarily have an overall problem with turnovers, but look at the kind of turnover. If you want to throw the ball into the 20th row, knock yourself out. At least the team's <laughs> taking the ball out of bounds. But if you dribble too much and get your pocket yeah. picked and it's a dunk on the other side, that is a much different type of turnover. They had 14 total turnovers. 12 of them were live ball turnovers that led yeah. pretty much to 19 fast break points. That was the tough part. That is a poison the Jazz cannot abide. They just can't let themselves fall into that trap. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. All right, we got multiple questions of the day here, PK. And uh, one of them involves the Jazz. Uh, the investigation by the NBA is complete. They couldn't find any proof that what Elijah Millsap said happened in the meeting happened in the meeting, that Dennis Lindsay said any of those things. Uh, we know that Rudy Gobert came out after, after the allegations were made. He was asked about it, and he was one of the few players who was on the team back there, and he said he was good friends with Millsap, and he'd never heard of it. And the uh, Millsap's agent represented him for two years and said he never heard anything about it. And uh, unlike the, uh, you know, what's going on with the governor of New York, where one person comes forward and then another person comes forward, nobody else came forward with any similar conversations of it. And it seems like it gets left there. The NBA says they can't prove that it happened. Uh, so what is the fallout for the Jazz going forward? And we got, uh, we got comments here on our Facebook page. And a lot of people are worried about how it impacts the team going forward. Cameron posts, no matter how innocent Lindsay is, everyone on Twitter will keep calling Utahns racist. It's insane how bad it can be. Examples when the NBA posted our new, jazz, uh, new jerseys, the top comment was, I'm surprised it's not a Klan robe. It got a ton of likes, and everyone was commenting on it. It's so frustrating. I can understand that. Yeah, but does anything change going forward? How much does this uh, resonate with people who have a preconception already? Roy... Royal Post, and this will probably frustrate people living in Oklahoma, but Royal Post, having lived in Oklahoma and in Utah, I have no idea how Utah is branded as the most racist place in the NBA. Well, I mean, I do. We can, we can ignore the church's history if we want. But, I mean, it's but that's it. <laughs> and there so, it is. So uh, I, the, the way I look at it is that you're, 
when you're involved in social media, which is why I've, I've tried to cut back as much as possible, uh, but I still need to do it for work purposes. Uh, when you're involved in that, you think that's your world, you know. We went through all these tweets and all this stuff. The reality is the people, on, that's a small minority who are involved in Twitter, and the people who comment on these things, it's, it's not that much in terms of the general population. They're, they're the minority. So, and also, too, these people who comment, they're not going to be NBA players who have an opportunity to decide where they're going to play NBA basketball. And I really believe that the NBA player, when he gets his free agency time, he has the knowledge and the sophistication to research it in-depthly. And then once you get past the superficial and then you get involved in what whatever organization is about, whoever it might be, and you know, hopefully for you, speaking of that individual player, you've got several options, you investigate them deeply so you come away with the understanding of the situation and you're able to look past some stereotype by some ding-dong out on social media. So in that respect, I don't think it's going to have any long-lasting ramification any more than that is already out there. Now, the Millsap thing, if Dennis Lindsay didn't say it, if I'm Dennis Lindsay, I'm absolutely furious yeah. that I have been accused of this. Yep. And I would demand an apology. Now, Dennis probably isn't going to do that, but I like to pop off and get emotional. That's who I am. Uh, and if I was in that position, it might be entirely different, but I'll never be in that position. But you accuse me of basically being a racist. And that, how do you, you know... Uh, how do you come back long, from that? Yeah. yeah. How, do you how, how, do you, how do you come back from that? The thing is, if he does what you suggest, which is why he won't, I don't think... I haven't talked to him, so I don't know, but I would assume he's not going to do what you suggest, is it just makes it a story longer. And, you know, it's got to sting. It's got to hurt. Um, you know, you can't, it's hard to prove the negative. It's hard to prove that this didn't happen. You know, when Quinn comes out and says, you know, he doesn't have any memory of it, but he can't imagine Dennis would say it, you know, why would you remember one season-ending conversation with somebody who's not on the team and it was five or six years ago unless it dictated being remembered right exactly but again it's proving the negative you know if it was said you could probably remember it if it right. wasn't you said, remember why would conversations you remember? that stand out but that's right. the point this conversation didn't stand, stand out. out yeah when you were told to check your ego at the door by a former manager <laughs> i still remember it so do i <laughs> right because right. it's not anything that had been said to you, and you re- we remember that. But any, and we probably had dozens of meetings that I couldn't recall, but yet I can recall that one. So by Quinn Snyder not being able to recall it means that it was just basically the run-of-the-mill uh, season-ending exit interview like they have with every player every year, and he's already been coaching, what, seven, eight years now? So he's had over f- 50 of them. So, yeah, he can't remember that, which – lead you to believe that it wasn't said because he can't remember it. If it was said, he probably would have remembered it. So I think for most fans, for Dennis personally, it's got to sting, but there's no point in demanding an apology that you're not going to get and making it a story for another day. So what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, because you're not an NBA GM and you're not going to be an NBA GM, 
if somebody impugns my character, uh, Ben, I'm 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 upset. I'm upset to the highest level, and that that's that's strong stuff. I mean, but that's me. I try to exact revenge on anybody who's ever wronged me. What can I tell you, man? It's the way I was brought up. And <laughs> is it right? Right? No, probably not. But I can still recall every slight that I've ever had against me. <laughs> I mean, that that's just that's just nasty. And yet it's just going to be okay. We just go on, and sun rises tomorrow, and we just go on. But yet, if he said it, you believe he would have been fired. I do. I so do. that's extreme. It's, yeah. Ends think, of the spectrum. I think off the um, the Zoom interview when uh, when uh, Ryan Smith talked about um, uh, racism in the NBA and racism in society. Off of that, and also as much as and you talked about this early in the show, as much as you'd like to think people get to make mistakes, they get to apologize, and they get to uh, you know try to do better down the road. In a highly competitive environment, a racial comment in the NBA by a general manager. Well, I don't, I don't know that you overcome that. I, I don't know that you get a second chance mm-hmm. and that that would be a big hurdle. I don't know. I can't think off the top of my head. Maybe you can remember. I can't think of a similar situation to compare it to, you know, a previous GM 10 or 20 or 30 years ago or whatever. Um, but I would think that would be really hard to overcome. Okay. Well, I'll hope. Thankfully, we won't know. Right. Exactly. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Uh, College football, we uh, heard from the Utes yesterday, and for you Ute fans, uh, an interesting debate. It kind of echoes what's going on with the Patriots. The roster may demand it, but will it happen? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Join the big show Wednesday at the warehouse from 2 to 6, 1825 South, 300 West, in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Yeah, I'll give you a big boom. Boom. I was a medium-sized boom at best. So the Utes opening spring practice. They had the first media availability yesterday. We played a lot of for a lot of it for you uh, live, and we played the rest of it this morning in the uh, 6 a.m. hour. It was happening yesterday at 8 a.m. and brought out the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and four quarterbacks, including Cam Rising, who can't participate in spring ball because he's rehabbing his shoulder injury. And uh, Kyle made a point we'll see him in the summer. And as we've talked about many times over the years, the most exciting part of a spring football, the things that makes it the most relevant, is when there is a quarterback battle. And the Utes have a bunch of transfers here to sort out, as Kyle pointed out. They can't name a starter, but they got to at least get the depth. And then they got to give Cam Rising a chance to compete in the summer. And then we'll see where it goes. But for the Utes, any conversation about the passing game is certainly not limited to quarterback you got to go to the receivers, and they've had two receivers transfer, and Kyle says they may go into the portal and get some help. They're definitely going to be looking at guys on the other side of spring ball when that really heats up. So we can't answer anything definitively because we don't know who's going to be on the roster. But you pointed out the depth chart does include double tight ends. Now the depth chart has 12 starters, 12 positions. So the question is, sure, they'll be in double tight ends some of the time, but how much? You had a conversation seven and a half years ago with somebody close to the program who said, they need to play like Stanford. They need to go with double tight ends. That's the the local recruiting base is so deep with them. That, you know why would you play more receivers? The local recruiting base. You got to go to California and Texas and get your receivers. There just aren't many receivers being produced in Utah. But there are a ton of tight ends. 
So you seem to have an edge in that area. And you can go to Texas and California and get tight ends too. Obviously, they did with Keithy. He's a Texas kid. So double tight ends. Is it the wave of the future, PK? Just this morning, the Patriots spent $25 million in guaranteed money to get another tight end when they'd already dropped $20 million for one tight end. Belichick's going double tight ends. Why not the Utes? Yeah, and Van Noy's supposed to resign with the Patriots too there. So Coming home. Turn to his second stop. He's had three. Detroit is yep, drafted, drafted him. him. Uh, so, yeah, whatever you find a way to, however you find a way to get the ball in the end zone, that's all that matters is get the ball in the end zone, score points. Everything else is just details. And whatever they figure, I have a hard time seeing them going away from what they've been doing, though. And Kyle loves the mobile quarterback. He loves the the threat because he feels that's the hardest to defend. I don't know that I would find uh, much hope for getting some big-time transfer receiver uh, because scholarships are running out. Now, they reserve some, keep some back. I understand that. but And there'll they'll probably be some more. But it seems like we've already passed that season of grad transfers moving around. It could still happen, and it will still happen. But I just wonder if uh, I'm going to get somebody's leftover who wasn't happy there. That's what makes me always concerned about these transfer situations. You know, with Bentley, well, he had 33 starts, but he got beat out. I mean, why would he have left? If he got 33 starts, why would you have left? doesn't just necessarily mean that that's always the case. Uh, because you look at this Brewer kid, now he's got all these starts and thrown for 9,700 yards, and he's leaving, but you know the program isn't in as good a shape as it was earlier, and now they've got you know, coaching changes and all that stuff and some other issues there, uh, whereas Utah's program is set to win immediately. They're, they're set up to compete strong. They're a strong contender for the South Division this next fall season, I believe. So I get why he would want to come here. Uh, I, I understand that. Because he didn't get beat out. He's the rare transfer that isn't leaving because of playing time. Right? The other two kids, the Texas deal, I assume they left because of they didn't see a way out. To get to a way or a way to get out on the field, right? So automatically that makes me think, mm, okay, what's going on there? They weren't good enough in the eyes of that coaching staff. Did that coaching staff evaluate them poorly? Did you get the rare transfer where, hey, there were three guys good enough to start, but only one can? So you get one of the other yeah, ones? Yeah, I don't know or, you have to evaluate them poorly. <clears throat> it doesn't have it's to the be. one position it could where be. guys don't get out on the field. Yeah. Well, but you, you, so you, you, you evaluated them poorly twice? You evaluated him poorly coming out of high school and you gave him a scholarship, and then you evaluated him poorly when he was on the team? I think you, I, mean, I, I was implying is that you evaluate them uh, poorly versus who they were starting behind. Or who they were behind, you know, the starter yeah, they were just, behind. Uh, it could just been the other guy was better. Right, that's the I other mean, scenario. Brady White yeah. down there at Memphis. He, he threw for all those yards at Memphis, and he had a hard time getting out on the field. He actually did get out on the field at ASU, but then got hurt. And his rehab took forever, and you had to go on. And by the time he was ready to go, they were entrenched uh, with a starter. So he goes to Memphis because the 
coach at Memphis was the OC in Tempe, and then, gee, she threw for a zillion yards, it seems. So it could happen. It's not like uh, there's, there's – each circumstance is different unto itself. So I can't say that these kids that they got here, well, they weren't good enough over there, so why would they be good enough over here? Right. That's... Just because you start over here doesn't mean you're good enough. Bentley started, but obviously clearly he wasn't good enough. So I think the problem with looking for wide receivers is that wide receivers do get out on the field. Teams do play two or three, sometimes even four of them at a time. And they're running sprints, so you're going to rotate through. If you're the second-string guy, you're still going to get snaps because the other guy just can't run sprints every play. So, Yeah, but the problem here, I think, is it, it's, it's a bad look for Utah to have Thompson and Nakua leave. It's a bad look. Yep. If I'm a receiver, that just raises massive red flags. So I'm already getting a guy who clearly isn't happy at his other place. So do I really want that? Plus, if I'm that guy, do I really want to go to a place where two guys who uh, uh, I've seniors, but this last year doesn't count, so I don't I don't know where they're at as to what what their ideas are as far as returning. But guys who've been in the veteran guys in the program, they decide to leave. And maybe with the Nakua thing, with his brother wanting to play closer to home and Provo, maybe there's something there. But Thompson, Thompson's a gigantic red flag. And he goes to a program that looks to run the ball. I had one coach text me, why is he going there? <laughs> they run this, they, run, they do exactly what Utah does yeah. play strong defense, run the ball, and punt. Because Herm can talk. That's why. And he sold him. I, but why there? I know. I, I mean, I want the Devils to go 12-0 and every year. Uh, but the fact is, man, they, Herm is old school. He's old and he's old and he's young in his appearance and his enthusiasm and all. But his style of football, throw it away, son, and let's live to run another play. Not throw another the only, play, run another play. The only thing I can give you is I think they take their fair share of deep shots. And so they must have talked to him, and I don't know. you know. But, I, I mean, that's part of you know, the use of change receivers coach since all this happened. And i, I got to believe that they're related to some degree. I mean, that's got to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah, whether it's most of it or all of it, we, we could debate that. But it's got to be part of it. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's, it has to factor into it. It's a screwy situation there, and geez, when and when I saw the team he chose, I'm thinking, what? Why? I'm glad he wants to go there. If he's, I mean, he looked like he was a good player, you know, I want my Devils to win. I'll be the first to tell you. Uh, I don't live and die by it, but uh, I still want him to win. But I was surprised, and so that that causes me to wonder. They they can get players, but just how good are they going to be, and how good do they need them to be? You know, well, if they're going, if they, they're going they, tight ends, they don't need as many good receivers. Yeah. I mean, you're taking yeah, maybe, the assumption is you're taking a receiver off the field. And maybe Brewer hits the ground running, to where he just jumps in there and he's thrown for 9,700 yards and all this other stuff, and so he's he's good, and so I'll make those guys my tight ends, my slots, my wide mm-hmm. outs. I'll make them look good. Just give me time. You guys up front, give me time, and I'll get the job done. And I can move around a little bit, too. So I can't discount that. It's very intriguing. 
which is exactly what I want. They're dealing from a position of strength. They're going to be good. It's a question of how good. Can they be great? I don't rule it out. I don't guarantee it, but I don't rule it out. Can they go 8-1 and one in this conference next season? It's a, uh, right now, it's a decent possibility. What decent possibility? <sighs> it makes me want to say, well, how decent a possibility? 8-1 well, is pretty high end in the conference because yeah. nobody goes 9-0. and that's why so, I said so eight, eight and one. one right. That's that. That's not a decent season. That is very good. Mm-hmm. And I would yeah, take that's, eight that's and high one. End. Right. And I I would take eight and one right now. I wouldn't play for nine and zero. And absolutely, I'd sign off on eight and one. Well, they've seemed to. They've been like what the Jazz have been doing. Any team that's around five hundred, excepting the Warriors the other day, in which the Warriors shot fifty percent from three, and then you notice last night they shot thirty five percent. So yeah, on a second uh, night of a back-to-back, they weren't as good. That's a shocker. It was a it was a uh, well. You can't sustain fifty percent. Nobody does in the it NBA. Wasn't a, it was back-to-back, but it was a weak back-to-back because they played in the, they played in the day, and then they should have been able to get to bed as if they, they should have gotten to LA playing. pretty quickly, right? Yeah, right. They should they could have been there by seven o'clock. So, uh, but nevertheless, uh, you know, maybe uh, be who you are, and the Utes. Being who they are is to beat Colorado and UCLA and Arizona, seem to beat those teams regularly, and seem to lose at SC, will always lose at SC, and then they got the Devils up here again. And the Ducks here. Because of the scheduling situation, right? The scheduling um, played out to where they missed going to Tempe, and Mm -hmm. that's fine. You know, just the way it worked out. It's just a roll of the dice, and just so getting him here should help. I don't know that it's the difference, but it should help. And so it's a it's a possibility. Maybe it's a long shot, but it's a possibility. I mean, they've only done eight and one once, right? Unless I'm missing a season. So, but I'm going high end on that, and I think high end is 8-1 in this conference since literally in 10 years no one has gone undefeated. Last year, obviously, they didn't play uh, nine conference games, but still no one went undefeated even in the fewer games, which to me indicates it's even tougher to do because if you only play four and you can't do it, how in the world are you going to do it if you play nine? It doesn't seem to mean that you're going to do it if you play nine and you can't do it when you play four. And you look at Washington, I think Washington was 3-1 and one last year, weren't they? Yeah, and and because they only they only played the four games and they couldn't do it, so it's, it would be hard because this conference, uh, the strength of the conference is also its weakness nationally, is lower level teams being able to beat the higher end teams and then knock them out, as we've seen multiple times. But I'm excited for Utah's season because the possibilities are pretty big. Now it could be a, you know a five and four season two in conference. So that's what makes it so darn intriguing. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We come back, everything we've talked about in this show, we will get you up to speed next. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, The Zone continues to dominate the competition. Number one.
Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Trying to catch you up to date on all the stuff we have been talking about. Talked a lot of jazz today. They're playing the Celtics tonight. Everybody in the West who's chasing the Jazz picked up a win last night. Are the Jazz going to give up ground, or are they going to get the win and take that half game back? Lakers blew out the Warriors 128-97. Suns blew out the Grizzlies 122-99. The Clippers beat the Mavericks by 10, 109-99. So 2-3-4 in the West, all winning PK. And the Denver Nuggets, they're up and down, two steps forward, one step back, continues. With a step forward, they beat the Pacers 121-106, so... I think they're fifth now. I'd have to check, but they're going back and forth with Portland for that fifth spot. So everybody's winning. It's up to the Jazz now to keep pace tonight in in Boston. If the Suns actually claim sole possession of first place this season, I'll quit and immediately move there. <laughs> you front runner. <laughs> they're two games back, both in the loss column. They're twenty six and twelve. Jazz 28-10, so two full games back. It won't be to, to root for the Suns, though. It will just be shock that it happened. It's not to become a Suns fan. It is just to be stunned that, that the Suns have, have jumped record than the Jazz. That the Suns have jumped all these teams. Yeah, that would just be shocking of all the things to happen. That would be one that I never would have predicted because I made fun of those guys down in Phoenix when I told you on the radio that they were thinking that they could overtake the Jazz this year, and I'm thinking, no way. And they've overtaken no everybody. So actually, yeah, everybody except the Jazz. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't me wouldn't be right now. They have, yeah, it wouldn't be for me to be all of a sudden this big Suns fan. There were there were times I did want the Suns to win when I lived down there because my father hated them. Uh, so, uh, the Nash and Barkley errors, uh, I w- I was a fan. I like the way the Nash teams played. Even my father, I think he came around to Steve Nash, uh, because of the way they played. It was, the f- they were, they played with a fun style of basketball to watch in the Barkley thing. He just got so fed up of hearing about the Suns that he rooted against them, which naturally led me to, to root for them at that time. Uh, but, uh. That would be a stunner. I don't. I, I can somehow I can see the Clippers or Lakers. Well, the Clippers, I'm not so sure anymore. Uh, in the regular season, now the playoffs is a new animal. We'll get there when we get there. Uh, but I think it's important for the Jazz to win, just to sort of. You're going to have a slump, but to sort of keep the slump as minimal as possible. Even if you consider this, I don't even know if you can consider this a slump. I guess you can consider it a slump relative to the way they won 21 out of 22, whatever it was. Okay, but they were never going to, so, yeah, they were never going to play 950 right, ball saying, and sustain I, that. Right, so, that's what I'm saying. Can I can I talk, call this a slump? Not yet. But at 4 out of 10, you can. Well, we're going down that road. Now I don't want to go down that road. Right. And you'd be going to on the road trip, going into a back-to-back in Washington, and then you got to play Toronto in Tampa Bay. So, not ideal. 
Need a W. Uh, yeah. Now, neither of those teams are that good. And then they get the Bulls on uh, next Monday. Monday. Is that who it is? Yeah, they get two days off. So clearly, the, the Celtics are the best of the four teams on this trip. I mean, that's obvious. But this is the NBA, man. And, and you know, the, the, the Bulls aren't all that good. But Levine's having a hell of a season. And he can light you up for 35 and, and away you go. So and that that that's the the, the the NBA now, sort of like what we're talking about, the Pac-12. It's not stunning to see one of these lower-level teams rise up and beat a good team because there, there are a lot of good players in this league right now, and even the crappy teams have some good players. And obviously looking at Washington with a Bradley Beal. Boston's fifth in the East. They're only two games over 500 in 2018, but the other three teams on this trip are all under 500. The Bulls are three under, the right. Raptors are five under, and the Wizards are ten under. But again, to your point, if Bradley Beal has his 48-point game, well, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, so there's uh, some of the NBA news uh, that we have been talking about. Uh, the Utes had two guys transfer, and whenever you say Utah basketball had two guys transfer, you start to raise the red flag. But these are two guys who didn't play, so that's kind of the way basketball works. I don't think these are the two transfers to get worked up over. Now, you don't know what they were going to develop into, so maybe they go somewhere and develop, but I think this is the part you probably have to shrug off here. Guys transfer. Well, I think, yeah, you do. It's just like, all right, I get it. Devils had a kid transfer yesterday. He didn't play, blah, blah, blah. These things are going to happen. It's if any of the foreign kids who are in the rotation, if it's uh, if Allen declares himself for the draft, so be it. But if he transfers to another school and plays, that's a blow. And obviously Martinez or Carlson, those guys, they, not that I have any indication that they were going to do it, but those would be absolute eye, eyebrow raisers. These two, not so much. Uh, Minnesota, Indiana, Iowa State, all making coaching changes. Of course, those uh, that's uh, what two Big Ten, one Big 12. It's all big-time football money. And, you know, we've got schools here who are on, uh, on a good run, uh, two NCAA teams for Mike for uh, Mark Pope in two years, three NCAA teams in three years for Craig Smith. And when Power 5 schools want to throw a ton of money at a coach, you always wonder what's going to happen next. No indication that it's going to be these guys. Uh, Minnesota is sort of vaguely kind of Craig Smith's neighborhood. Indiana is kind of. Well, uh, he's a native. Sort of, right. And he coached in South Dakota. So, he's, But he's literally a So not kind of, sort of. It is his neighborhood. If he's going home, Pope played for the Pacers, but and played at, a played at Kentucky, which isn't far away. Um, and I don't know that any of that matters. I think it matters more if they've got the money and if they want to spend the money. And are they interested in these coaches who oh, are winning or other money. coaches who are winning? They got the money, right? They most definitely got the money. I mean, Indiana, I think, is paying Miller ten million to go away. Isn't are they not? Uh, yeah. It's a lot. I don't know. That could be the number. I don't know. I the thought number. I saw that yesterday. You may well have because yeah. I, st- I started list. Okay, who's gonna, whose names are going to be thrown out there? <laughs> right. Uh, and Pope, Pope, and and Smith, they're going to be thrown out there. That's just the way it is. I told you, Patino got fired at Minnesota. Well, they're already announcing that he's going to get the job at New Mexico. So that was about a day's worth of negotiations. They like sizzle. 
and Patino because of his father. His father is a phenomenal basketball coach. I'm surprised he didn't hire yeah, him. Yeah, I was, was going to say, go get, <laughs> go get Rick. <laughs> Come on. Rick in New Mexico. <laughs> Sign me up, he Mountain just, West. He just took Iona to the NCAA uh, tournament. That was, yeah. that was uh, the whole post-selection. It's like his ex-teams, Kentucky and Louisville, are out, and his current team, Iona, is in. It's in, yeah. So. Well, he, Patino is Larry Brown. The guy's one wherever he goes. Is five it's not going to be upstanding. Yeah. Larry Larry Brown hasn't had the personal issues that I'm aware of, but he's always had – he's kind of a Tarkanian light. seemed like he always had you know some rule things that were hampering him. But the guy won. He, he was a great basketball coach, man. I want to cover the Clippers. He was their coach, and they sucked for many, many years before and after. But when Larry Brown was there, they were pretty good. Well, yeah, so, they had two playoff teams, but yeah. that was about his, you know, two to three years seemed to be his window. Five was the outside. That was that was long-term Larry Brown if he got to five. And I view Patino, he's a great basketball coach, but he's got some baggage. Uh, I don't know that his son has any baggage. It's about winning, and so they're going to get that Patino name down in New Mexico. But, you know, it goes by with uh, Utah State and BYU. You want to be in that position that other guys want your guys. That means they're doing well. means they're winning. You're going to the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I really believe, and this is going to post this morning on KSL, this is Mark Pope's moment of reckoning this week. How good are you? Because this is the only thing that's missing from his resume. You know, he did a phenomenal job at Utah Valley, but they didn't go to the tournament. Uh and he's done a phenomenal job at BYU. Now, they would have gone last year for sure, uh, and, but the circumstances being what they were. But if he gets a sweet 16 out of this group this year after losing seven, eight guys last year, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, he's the real deal. I think he is the real deal. I think he's absolutely the right guy for the job. But he still needs uh, an opportunity to, if you want to do some things that haven't been done at BYU, Finishing second in the West Coast Conference and going to the NCAA tournament, that's not one of them. But winning a tourney game for the first time in about a decade, that'd be good. For sure. Yes. Sweet 16 would be awesome. We had Tim Lacombe on earlier this morning who said that before the brackets came out, he thought a team like Texas was a really difficult matchup for BYU. And sure enough, Texas is the three seed and a potential second-round matchup. Okay, yeah, well... So be it. Uh, Worry about that. I, you got to get the first should, one first. They all should be difficult matchups when you get to that level. Second round. Doesn't mean they all are. The Utes and the Majerus' years, a lot of times, and they just breezed to the Sweet 16. Not always, but sometimes they did. That's because they were really good. But so be it. Did they, beat Texas, Navy in a, did they beat Navy in a first-round game or a second-round game? Is that an opening round? It was it was, I want to say, was was it second round? I can't remember. Maybe it was first round. It was in Tucson, if I remember correctly. And the uh, it was one of the, like, NC Charlotte, and all the Ute people were all worried about it. And I was thinking, what, what the heck are you worried about for? Huh. And they, ju- they, just, they just waltzed right into the Sweet 16. To, and that's where Majerus went off about how they didn't have a plane ready for them and and really pissed <laughs> off the Utah administration. I can tell you more than you want to know on that one. And that was a great time in Tucson. My sister and my brother-in-law and their son came down, 
and uh, the Sunday game, we spent the weekend together, and we all they all stayed in my room. And the uh, Sunday game, they wanted to go to, and I said, "Oh, well, see if you you know get tickets and have to scalp them or whatever." And so I'm sitting there in press row, and it's right the fans are right behind me, and getting ready to start the game. Like the players are walking out, and I feel a tap on my shoulder, and it's my brother-in-law, my sister, and my nephew. They not only got scalper tickets, they got them first row right behind me, which I thought was kind of cool. <laughs> now that's funny. Yeah. yeah. Like, did they know where you were sitting to get those? No. Okay. I mean, they knew I was on press row, sure, obviously. But, but, but I yeah. just wondered if they yeah. were lining up there. No, no. It was, it, was, it was funny. I turned around, and there they are. They're literally right behind me. Uh, and, I, and I think the Utes won – and they they won easily, and then we went over to San Jose. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, that was the year they beat Navy and Charlotte. The year before was Canisius and Iowa State. So it isn't always big name, brand name programs to get to the Sweet Sixteen, but it is sometimes. The Iowa State game, I think, had Tim Floyd as the coach, and that was a dogfight um, because then he went from Iowa State to the Bulls, and that's where you Stacy went from Utah State to Iowa State. Yeah. And they brought in Stu Morrill, if I remember that chain of events. Correct. Uh, but Craig Smith, wow, what a job he's done, man. He's right up there with Stu Morrill. And this, this guy is so electric. It reminds me of a shorter version of Mark Pope in terms of charisma and getting everybody excited about their program. And he's three for three yeah. in getting them to the NCAA tournament. At, and Stu Morrill did it out of the whack, which wasn't nearly as good as the Mountain West is. So hats off to, to Craig Smith. I can see why pro- why a Minnesota would him. come knocking. Oh, easily. You're I from there. You, I actually you've think coached he... in South Dakota, and now you've taken Utah State to three straight NCAA tournaments. So you would think you got to shortlist him. I'm sure there's other coaches who want that gig. So I think he could do better than that. Ooh. Maybe not this year, but Ooh. in time. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, look at his results, man. They yeah. speak for themselves. That's a, this is a results-oriented business, and right now his resume is pretty doggone impressive. Now, he's got to get an NCAA tournament win, too. They didn't get the chance last year, and then his first year they went up, if I remember correctly, they went up against Washington, which clearly Washington played its best game of its season and beat the Aggies in that first round here. Well, I, I think both Utah State and BYU had a chance to win last year, so... For many, many reasons, it sucks that that tournament couldn't be played. Many reasons bigger than basketball. But if we're just going to focus on basketball, it certainly sucks for the Aggies and the Cougars because there are years you go to the tournament knowing you can't win. There are years you go hoping you can win. But there are years you go where you think, we've got a really good shot at this. Uh, Last year I would have put both of those teams in that category, yes. Exactly. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your feedback's coming up next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Time for your feedback. And PK, one of the things that uh, we have been talking about here this morning, what's going to happen with the Saints? The quarterback uh, carousel is spinning. It hasn't completely stopped. Are they going to be able to make a play for Watson or Wilson here? Uh, Question, DJ doesn't believe Taysom Hill will replace Drew Brees as the Saints starting quarterback. And they'll make a trade or go with Jameis Winston. So, like, what do you think? <laughs> How'd I do? Did I get it? Good. Thank you. 
And uh, John says Winston will be odds-on favorite frontrunner for the job. Uh, Mike says he's been pigeonholed as a utility guy. He'll never start regularly. I can't 100% sign off on that, Mike. I do agree with John that I think Winston is the favorite. Uh, and, and I think it comes down to that, that both guys, um, they're kind of at the same place for different reasons in their career. With Taysom, I think there are still questions. Can he routinely push the ball down the field and make big plays? He can play well. And he can minimize the turnovers, but is he going to make a bunch of the big plays and be real dynamic throwing the ball down the field? Now, Winston, he can be dynamic throwing the ball down the field, but is he going to eliminate the negative plays? My guess is they're going to, they, they got a bunch of really good wide receivers there that if they don't make a move for a Watson or a Wilson, that they go with Jameis, he makes big plays. But does, how many turnovers does he make, and can they stomach him? And if it gets to a point that, just like Tampa Bay, they can't stomach it anymore, and that could be game two, game six, game 12, then Taysom's going to be the guy. Because I think after playing him last year, they know what they have there, and if he's the best option, then they go with him. Now, we just got a tweet here. Uh, a New Orleans Saints writer, John DeShazer, tweeted it out, and Greg Rubel retweeted it, which is why I saw it. Uh, Peyton with a quote, I think we're set. I think we are set. He was asked, are you set at the quarterback position? And he said, I think we are, judging by the quote that's out there. I think. So he's got the wiggle room like, hey, I didn't know we could get Wilson for a number one pick. I thought we were going to need five number one picks. If you get Wilson or Watson, of course you get them. Exactly. Right. I think Taysom is dealing from a position of strength because if he doesn't win the job, he knows he's going to play. Whereas if Winston doesn't win the job, he's going to be standing. So at least as a consolation – I don't see where if you use Taysom like you did and you had a Hall of Fame quarterback, obviously wasn't in his prime, but still a Hall of Fame quarterback, then in my mind, clearly use Hill with Winston being a quarterback. You use him in the same role, maybe even more. So you know you're going to get out on the field. I don't think you're going to continue to get the buzz. It seemed like, I used to laugh, Taysom caught a screen pass and people would go nuts. Like, this guy can do that in his sleep. He's a phenomenal athlete. So I don't think he'll get the buzz, but who cares about that if he gets the money in the playing time? And I know he wants to be the quarterback for sure, obviously. But if that doesn't happen, he'll still have an opportunity to feel like he's playing NFL football and making a contribution. But it'll be interesting to see if they go with Winston and either or, really, what type of leash they have for the starter and will it be a situation? You don't want to get in that situation where you're juggling quarterbacks. That never seems to work. But if you don't win the starting job, uh, particularly, I don't know, are they going to have the preseasons, and what are we going to do here? I haven't heard. You know, how how much of a body of work are they going to have in the competition form of the season for the regular season? So still a lot to be decided there. And if Sean Payton thinks he's got what he needs – and is comfortable with it, well, he, he, he's got a track record, so he ought to know. B.J. Clem tweets out, not me. He only got one year for a reason. I think that they are committed to these two guys, but they are committed to them for the short term. And if one of these guys has a home run season, whether it's the guy who's picked to win the job or if a guy gets it through injury or the other guy struggles and he hits a home run then, great. But they are set up to be right back in the quarterback market a year from now. Well, so many teams are, though. You look at the, these high draft picks. 
Sam Darnold. Now he's on the market, and he was taken high. So that's not that unusual, even if you have a high draft pick who gets out on the field. I mean, are the Dolphins really, really sure that Tua is your guy? It's not like he had big-time stats with them in his rookie season. So unless it's – this is not this is sort of double talk, but unless you have the guy, do you really have the guy? So I think that what you're saying is, in any given year, a half dozen teams are going to be right back out there in one year. We know right now Washington is going to be right back out there in one year. They went and got Fitzpatrick. It's going to be one more year. But in the Darnold Jets situation or the Tua situation, and Jacksonville presumably is you know, going to use the number one pick on Trevor Lawrence, those guys, they got three years. So, yeah, the team could be out there, but not right back out there next year. I would be stunned. Jacksonville's going to take Lawrence, and they're not going to be in the quarterback market a year from now. Mm, okay, probably But if you not. want to say that there's 10 to 15 teams that are going to be out there in three years, yeah, that's not a stretch. That's not a stretch. The, the teams that are in the playoffs, they're usually happy with their quarterback, right? Baltimore isn't going to – they haven't been to a Super Bowl, but they're not going to be in the quarterback market for a while. They're going to be back in the playoffs. Know. You know? but, then, but then you get those guys who are drafted high – and it seems like every year there's somebody in that third-year category that you bring up. Right. So they're in the market. You know, has uh, Murray, has he really proven himself down in the desert? No. Not really. And he's going to go into his third season. So if he doesn't have a big season, are they thinking? And they drafted him number one. If they go backwards a little bit, I can totally see them. If, they, if, they, if he throws picks and they're 5-11, and 11, I could see them thinking, oh boy, we got to do something here. 5-11? I'm yeah. turning in my season tickets <laughs> you if don't they do have that. season tickets. <laughs> I think right now, though, the Cardinals and the Chargers and the Bills, they all have young quarterbacks, and they think we're good to go. I think so, yes. Right. All right, DJ and PK, we're out of time. Hans and Scotty are coming up next.